Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Getting you through your workday one hour at a time. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Welcome into Afternoons with Staffy for your Tuesday, folks. Uh, Staff is away for the rest of the week, so uh, I'm sitting in Sammy for today and tomorrow, and then uh, we've got Steve McIver taking you through on uh, Thursday and Friday. Uh, lots to get stuck into between now and 3 o'clock. Very, very shortly going to catch up with Andrew Dewhurst, who was commentating the Whites-Qatar game this morning in Austria, um, and how he saw it, given that he was trying to commentate what was in front of him, not knowing what was going on. Uh, players in the sheds refusing to come out after halftime. Um, very, very interesting story, this. Um, and the ramifications and the consequences of what's going to come. Because FIFA, uh, perhaps the most gutless organisation in, in world sport, and uh, an embarrassment, really, uh, on their record over the last couple of years with just how much, or just how prevalent, this issue is in football at the moment, uh, this issue of racism. Uh, the Vinicius Jr. story that's been bubbling away over the last couple of weeks, uh, and, and there was even another game this morning, I think it was the Ireland tw- under-21s who abandoned a game because of racist or racial remarks. Back in 2016, um, FIFA shut down. Um, they had a, a racism in football task force. They shut down in 2016 because they claimed that the task force had uh, completed its objective. Well, I'd argue that um, racism in football, certainly um, perception, is that it's the worst it's ever been. And we saw it against the All Whites this morning. And I think it's a bit close. Well, it is closer to home, isn't it? Because it's New Zealand. So often we're used to hearing these stories out of Europe or South America. But to have it happen to a New Zealand team uh, hits home a lot harder. And good on the All Whites. I applaud them for standing up and uh, doing what they did because FIFA won't do anything. And it's up to the players and uh, the teams at the moment to uh, to make a stand. So good on the All Whites for doing that. We're going to talk about that between 12 and 1. Your calls on 0800 You can text on double eight double three. Like I said, very shortly going to catch up <clears throat> with football commentator Andrew Dewhurst. After 1 o'clock, we're going to go to the UK, chat with uh, Jeremy Coney. Day 5 of the Ashes will get underway tonight. And boy, is it exciting because uh, as long as the rain stays away, I think it draws off the table. 
I think you get a result, whether it's Australia or England, it is perfectly poised. Australia need 174 runs. They've got seven wickets in hand. Scotty Boland's at the crease with Usman Khawaja. There are going to be fireworks on day five. Absolutely cannot wait. So Jeremy Coney talking with us after one. Then after two o'clock, Maya Jackman, former football fern. Uh, the story that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, myself and staff on air about Western Springs, the women's football team there, and what was developing between them and their executive committee trying to get uh, equality and equity at the football club given what the uh, the male first team gets compared to the female first team uh, and the, the women's first team has refused to play for the last couple of weeks and they've finally had a resolution uh, that broke out uh, yesterday afternoon and uh, we're going to chat to Mike Jackman who's involved with Western Springs about that after 2 o'clock so uh, that as long as all our regulars uh, what's making news back in the day etc annual calls and texts that's what's coming up between uh, now and 3 o'clock. But we are talking uh, this All Whites story for the next hour or so and uh, very special privilege to have on the line now a man who was calling it uh, for Sky Sport this morning, Andrew Dewhurst. Uh, welcome in, Andrew. Yeah, good afternoon. I wish I was talking to you about something else, maybe the Staminich goal, but yeah. uh, it's a it's a big story, a developing story, that's for sure. So tell us, uh, walk us through, Andrew, from your perspective, um, what you saw, because obviously you were calling the game, and I'm not sure if you were getting fed information as to what was happening, particularly at half-time when the players were refusing to come out. So just talk us through how, how you were seeing it as you were calling the game. Well, when we when we called it live, and and all all we were seeing is the images that uh, everyone else was seeing, and and when we called it live, and I haven't gone back and had a listen, other than what's been played on the news, uh, but it was clear to both myself and Jacob, and you'll hear that in the commentary, you can see when players are are upset or are aggrieved more than usual, and this was more than the usual. Uh, upset at a player because they might have dived or 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 just just an exchange of words. There was something that was said, and I called it live during the commentary that uh, the New Zealand players were just incensed. And goodness me, when when you do see the replays, Libby Kakache's eyes were were, were daggers. Uh, the likes of Bill Tuiloma came in, uh, fired up uh, Boxall himself. So clearly at the time. There was something that the cameras hadn't caught and I knew had absolutely incensed the New Zealand players. Mm. We didn't know anything else uh, at that point in time. Neither did we um, get any alerts during halftime. Our, our first indication that something was amiss was the uh, images that, that everyone saw of the referee basically in his socks uh, and, and clearly not, not coming out to, uh, to, to commence the second half. At first, we thought that was a referee change. And then very quickly it became obvious it was more. There were, there were broadcasters, there were support staff, uh, there were a lot of people mingling on, on the edge of the pitch, but not a single player in sight. And, and that's the first time that we realised something was up. Mm. I mentioned in the uh, in the intro there, Andrew, that you know sometimes, well, often you see these issues happening elsewhere around the world. You know, in Europe, South America, to have it happen to a New Zealand team, I think, is what's really rattled the cage a little bit. Certainly here in New Zealand. I mean, have you have you ever experienced something like that as a commentator? No, and and in fact, I, w- I was thinking, um, you know, following the match that uh, I, I've been heavily involved across a number of different sports, and and for six years was manager of the Tall Blacks, and uh, and, and and we travelled the world and played at, at world championships and uh, and Olympic qualifiers and and the likes, and and uh, not once uh, in in my time. 
uh, as a broadcaster or in any other role in, in sport and with different codes, have I firsthand witnessed something like this? We see it, as you say, often from some of the big leagues and, uh, and, and Spain in recent times has uh, uh, had its concerns mm. and, and not necessarily dealt with things uh, that effectively. So I, I, I can totally understand that. I, I, to make it very clear, I totally support the stance of the All-Whites. I totally uh, understand their actions, and I've had some communication with the team since, and, and uh, totally stand with them. It, it's a brave call. It's not a call, not a decision they will have made lightly. Um, and, and obviously, they played another five minutes or so, but then were able to, uh, to, to reflect on it and discuss during the halftime break. And, and what I thought was interesting was that in the, the initial tweet, it wasn't just the racial slur uh, that was referred to, but it was the fact that no one had done anything about it. And I think that's important in this conversation. And, and without you know joining the dots, not having all the information, I think you can assume that there were more um, discussions perhaps with the officials during the halftime break and, and that refusal to take any action by the officials I think is, is what has uh, you know led to the, the New Zealanders feeling that they have to take some action themselves. Yeah, absolutely and uh, I guess um, Andrew, part, part of the uh, the other side, of, not that there really is another side, but but part um, of the conversation people were saying is you know, what if the referee didn't hear it? Can he make a decision based off something he didn't hear? And you know, I don't think anyone for a second would ever question the all whites and the the integrity of the claim. I, I you know, I, I back them one hundred percent, like you. But is there is there an argument that because the referee didn't may not have heard it himself, he couldn't act on it? Uh, of course there is. Of course, if, if the officials are saying they didn't hear it, and again, all, all we can go on is what we've seen from from a distance and, and through the television broadcast, and and given the proximity of the referee, given the number of New Zealand players, and I, and I need to stress this, and I think this has been made public through other sources, but my information is that uh, this wasn't just one or two players. This was uh, six or seven players. Uh, so essentially, mm-hmm. anyone in the vicinity heard loud and clear, and you can see it. There'll be some lip reading going on. You can see the response from the New Zealanders. Now, the referee's right in amongst it. So so perhaps the inference there is, how can you not hear it? Yeah. Um, and, and of course, these days, referees are, are wired up. They're mic'd up. They can communicate with their, um, their, their assistants. And, and I don't know whether that means that is recorded, um, but you know, potentially that might be a source of information um, if and when FIFA conducts some sort of an inquiry. You would hope that that communication is available post-match so that they can perhaps see what might have been picked up on the referee's mic. Um, Andrew, do you think we'll um, we'll find out what was said and do you think it's it's we should find out what was said or do you think it's simply we should leave it as just a racial remark and leave it to the investigation, investigators to figure that out? Yeah, I... I don't feel, not, not once today have I felt the need to know exactly what was said. It's good enough for me that Michael Boxall uh, was offended by a remark directed at him uh, personally. Heat of the moment, don't care. It, it's just not acceptable. And, and as I say, for the others to have heard it as well and for the reaction that we saw, uh, that's good enough for me. Do we need to know? I, I, 
I don't know, maybe it's a little salacious, maybe that's our, our need for clickbait these days, mm. that we all want to know exactly what was said. But uh, it's enough for me to know that there was racial abuse. Uh, it was directed at a specific player, and he, with the support of his teammates and coaching staff, have made a stand. Uh, so for me, that's enough. Mm. Just before we let you go, Andrew, what, how do you see it going? How do you see this playing out over the coming days and weeks? Uh, everyone I've spoken to, you know, FIFA does almost nothing in these situations. Is there any expectations that anything is actually going to happen? And is there a possibility that actually New Zealand get in trouble for this, given they, they abandoned the match at half time? Well, I tell you what, uh, this is uh, politically for FIFA. If, if they were to go down that path, I, I think there would be a big price to pay for them. I mean, goodness, we have a, a FIFA Women's World Cup, uh, not to implicate that tournament, but uh, New Zealand is about to play host to FIFA and all its dignitaries. So I think they've got to be very careful. I, I, I think they may well be forced into a situation here where they have to act. And ironically, of course, it wasn't the only game. The Iron, uh, yeah. Republic of Ireland under 20 one game against Kuwait was abandoned for uh, almost uh, the identical reason that a player was racially abused. So I, I think FIFA has to conduct an inquiry. Uh, the, the, the test here will be what audio evidence is there. Uh, if this comes down to a, uh, an argument over who said what, yeah. that becomes very difficult to police. But if they've got any supporting evidence, if, if television microphones that weren't necessarily going to air have picked anything up, uh, they, they have to listen. And they also have to listen to the New Zealanders. And I, I think the decision by Carlos Quiroz to, to conduct an interview, which uh, was broadcast, I, I think that was a poor decision. Um, he was seen essentially to be dismissing this as an argument between two players with no witnesses. Well, I tell you what I saw about six or seven witnesses that were pretty irate uh, out there on the pitch. So, but, I, but FIFA has to act. They have to act. Uh, if they don't, there may be a bigger price to pay for them. It's one thing to put so there's no room for racism on the uh, broadcast with five minutes to go in a game. It's another to actually stand up and end a game because of it. So FIFA has to act. Yeah, spot on. Uh, and I really appreciate you coming on. And, uh, yeah, a very, very interesting story. We will keep an eye on it over the coming days and weeks. Uh, thanks heaps for your time, my friend. We'll, uh, we'll catch up again soon. All good. Pleasure. There you go. Andrew Dewhurst calling the game for Sky this morning. Uh, that All-Whites v Qatar game. Some great thoughts there as well. You might want to react to that. 0800 150 That is the phone number. Uh, you can text on double eight double three. Would love to get your thoughts. Um, you know, where should where do FIFA go? And, you know, there is a point there, and Andrew did allude to it, of, a, of if there isn't that audio evidence, a little bit of, you know, he said, she said. And look, we, me personally, back the All-Whites 100%. Why would you ever fake or lie about something like that um, or even embellish it. They were up 1-0 when they went into the halftime break. So from a from a results perspective, they had no reason to do what they did if, if nothing was said. So I'm in the All-Whites camp 100%. Whether or not FIFA will side with them given there might not be any audio evidence is, is another question. But uh, give us a call 0800 150 You can text on double eight double three. We will talk to Chris Milicic as well, maybe just after 12.30. Uh, we'll put a call into him. But uh, we'd love to get your thoughts here on, uh, on Afternoons with Steffi. So we'll take a short break, come back with your calls after this. 22 minutes past 12 here on SCNZ Afternoons with Staffy. We are talking all whites and the big story this morning against Qatar. And to the phones we go, Scotty in Wellington. G'day, Scotty. Hey, Sammy. How are you? Mate, I am well. Talk to me. Um, 
I've, I've got to say first, I mean, it's still very, very sad that, you know, um, people still go down this path and, and yes, those, you know, whatever was said, obviously, to, to another human being. Um, I mean, I just, myself, I just don't understand that, you know. You, you don't need, no matter if it's the heat of the moment or anything, you don't need to go down that kind of path. And, mm. and I know you get a, a group of guys together and, you know, it, it, you know, it escalates, but... No matter what, you, you don't need to go down the racial terms or anything like that. And I mean, you, you do see it, unfortunately, from or you hear it from the crowds and that at different sports games. I, I've been to games in the UK, and you know, there's a lot of stuff. I, I'd be shocked if I had my son with me and that as well. You know, that he would hear. But yeah, you, you expect a bit better from players at the end of the day. But um, you know, it's it's just sad that it's it's still happening. And you know, FIFA will bury their head in the sand because they're very, very good at doing that. And, uh, you know, they'll just hope it'll blow over. And as I think you said earlier, I mean, when they had their, um, their program to, to rid it of racism, I mean, you know, saying back in, what, 2016 that they'd gotten rid of it, it's, yep. you know, it's, it's nowhere near even close to being, uh, getting rid of. Yeah, well, I'd argue, Scotty, and and I don't know whether this is just you know the fact that I I don't follow football religiously. I mean, I've played football most of my life, and I do follow, it, but certainly not as as much as a lot of people who are fans of you know things like the uh, leagues like the Premier League. But it seems to me that this is becoming a lot more prevalent. So we had two instances today. We have the Vinicius Junior story that's bubbling away. We're constantly seeing um, stories coming out of the Premier League. Um, I don't know. There seems to be something about this issue that is becoming more and more prevalent. Or maybe it's just being covered more. I'm I'm trying to work it out. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a bit of both. Obviously, it's... This day and age, like anything, I think with social media and that as well, things do get covered a bit more, so you do hear more and more about different things. Um, but I mean, I, I follow the Premier League very closely, and um, yeah, it's again, it's not even close to, to um, being eradicated from out of there, and, it, and it's sad. Um, you know, as I say, some of the stuff you, you hear coming from the crowd just it just makes you cringe, especially you know, coming from New Zealand. It, it, it does happen here, but obviously not generally. You don't seem to hear it as much in the games. Mm. Um, and but I mean, again, it's just you know, from coming from players to another player, they, I don't. I just kind of you know, it doesn't make it worse because it shouldn't come from anyone. But you know, you. you expect a little bit more from players at the end of the day. Yeah, and like I like I said, I've played footy most of my life, Scotty, and I can tell you that you know there's some pretty unsavory things that get said on a football field, like probably mo- like probably <laughs> most sports, right? And uh, look at the moment yeah, yeah. at the moment we've got another example up in the uh, up in the UK in the Ashes. You know, there's a lot of conversation there around uh, uh, around Ollie Robinson's uh, you know chirping of Usman Khawaja after he had got him out. That that's a big debate. So you know a lot a lot of stuff does get said in the heat of battle on the field, but you know I think. Pretty much everyone can can acknowledge that there are a couple of to- a couple of things that are just totally off limits, and and race is a big one, um, and and it, and it is it does hit closer to home for us because we, like I said, are used to seeing this maybe in other countries, you know, Europe and South America, but you know, to happen to a New Zealand team uh, on the world stage, I mean, I I can't think of of anyone, uh, you know, Kiwi athlete, past or present, that is that is openly had something racist said to them in the in the heat of competition, first time I think. And I mean, you know, you're, you're one new up, you're, you're playing against the, the current Asian champions, you know, we, we don't get to play too many games, you're not going to walk off at half time no. if, if nothing really has been said at the end of the day. I mean, you know, if, if they a huge result in New Zealand football, um, so you're not going to walk away from that at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I agree. Scotty, I really appreciate your call as always, my friend. Uh, yeah, we'll Thanks. talk again soon. Have a good day.
All right, there you go. Scotty from Wellington. You can jump on the phone, 0800 We'd like to get your thoughts. You can text on double eight double three. There is uh, a little bit of chatter out there from, from some people that um, the All Whites shouldn't have abandoned the game. They should have, you know, the, the, the Kiwi way, as some people have said, is to come out uh, and, you know, face adversity in the opposition and, and beat them on the field. Um, I think the problem in all of this is the complete lack of action from FIFA, not just in this scenario where you know, obviously the referees didn't want a bar of it, but in, in all the cases, really, the, the failure of them to take action has forced uh, that responsibility onto the players and onto the teams, which is why we saw what we saw. And Andrew Juhus said that as well at the top. He said, um, you know, the players felt like nothing was being done from the referees. And that is why, that is where a lot of the air frustration came out of at half time, and the reason why they didn't come back out onto the field. So, you know, whilst I, I sort of do understand, you know, get back out there, get the job done, you know, that's how you combat is you win the game and you beat them on the field. It's an, it's an incredible stand for uh, the players to make. And it's brave because they were up 1-0, a result coming, arguably. Uh, they still obviously had to weather 40 minutes of it, but uh, a result arguably coming for them. Um, you know, international football, which they're not playing a lot of New Zealand at the moment. Um, and... You know, they 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 decide to to leave at half time to make a stand, and all the players standing together, which I think is fantastic because it's easy. You know, if one or two people had heard it, uh, for the others to sort of say, okay, guys, well, we didn't really hear it, but but all the team got together, and I see New Zealand football have come out as well, and they're in support of the team uh, and the show of leadership there. So um, I like the united front of it all. Um, you can give me a call eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. You've got any thoughts? We will t- uh, chat to Chris Millichitz very very shortly, and if, even if you want to talk about, I guess just that. Chirping, I guess you call it chirping or um, or uh, sledging uh, in sport because, like I said, there there is at the moment a lot of conversation around what's going on in the Ashes and giving guys sends off. And the Aussies are, you know, clearly the uh, the benchmark, for lack of a better term, in terms of uh, setting the tone in cricket. They love to get up in your face and let you know when they've got a wicket and send you on your way and give you an earful and probably throw a th- few swear words out. I remember. Uh, Brad Haddon giving it to Grant Elliott in that 2015 Cricket World Cup final. Um, where's the line? You know, at what point do we try and stamp it out? Not even just the you know, the racial stuff, but just an element of um, that over-the-top type stuff. Um, would be interested to get your thoughts. 0800 150 or text on double eight double three. We're going to take a break for new sport and weather. Catch up with Johnny Mack. And uh, when we come back, we will get Chris Milicic on the line, a name very familiar with football people around New Zealand. He's coached at the international level as well, and I know he's fired up about this issue. So we'll take a short break for new sport and weather. Chris Milicic coming up after that. Welcome back into SCNZ Afternoons with Staffy. No Staffy this week, so Sammy's sitting in the chair for you until, uh, well, today and tomorrow, and then... Um, and then Stephen McIver takes over Thursday, Friday. A couple of texts just quickly on double eight, double three. Uh, John says racism is alive and well on sidelines here at rugby matches. Be great if a club walked off at uh, walked off of a match here and set an example not to accept and clubs ban those racist people from the sidelines. I do agree with you, uh, John. And Carolyn says we are all debating about something we have no real detail on until it is made public what was said. How can we possibly back the all white stance? It's all just supposition. Um, look, I, I I do sort of understand that. Um, Carolyn, but that I guess is the argument where that I was trying to make just before was that I have zero reason to believe that the All Whites would make that up. Not only because they were ahead one nil in the game, so there's no reason to throw the game, but also why would they? I mean, the Whites are known internationally for being one of the cleanest teams on the park. 
um, they've built that reputation. That they're not like you know South Americans that dive around and give away you know fouls and all that sort of stuff. They they are a very um, highly regarded integrity based team, and so I just find it almost impossible to believe that they've made something up here. Um, and the instant reaction of the players when you do see the video clip. Uh, in the highlights and you see the reaction instant reaction of the players you know something was said that was very very bad you're right we, we until we sort of know and I don't even know if we will ever know but until we know what was said it's hard to um, a, a sort of judge the severity of it but to not walk to, to, to refuse to come out onto a pitch at halftime a New Zealand team I think uh, shows this shows the severity of it from their point of view. And I'm happy, personally, I'm happy to back them uh, through this 100%. Um, but I, I do take your point, Carolyn. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure others out there probably do share that view. Uh, Chris Milicic, a man who's very familiar to, uh, to football minds in New Zealand. He has coached internationally at the under-20 level. Uh, and I know he's very passionate about this issue. And he's uh, he's on the line now with us. Uh, Chris, uh, welcome in. Firstly, just uh, I guess your your initial reaction uh, when, you, uh, when you woke up this morning or if you were watching the game, your initial reaction to, to what you saw this morning. My first reaction was, I know all these coaches and people involved and the players, and for them to make a stance like this, they must consider it extremely major, and they must also consider it something really, really important. So my, my initial reaction was, wow, they've taken the stance, it's, it's pretty major. Uh, but then I know the people involved, so that was my first mm. initial reaction. Yeah, because... Chris, I mean, you, you, you've been around these football circles for years, and, and I myself have played uh, football for a number of years. Things get said on a football pitch, you know, and at times it can get a little bit ugly. So, like you just said, it, it has to be pretty damn major for a side, and, and especially a side like New Zealand, and they were ahead, remember? They were ahead 1-0 going into the break. It, it, it has to have been something nasty. We don't know what was said yet, and I don't think you know, know either, but it, it must have been something major. Must have been something major. Like if you're you're a player, you'd be called all sorts of things under the sun. But there's two two areas that are no go. Race has always been a no go. You can't be you know like you can't in the street. Um, you can't say that. And the other one is you you tend not to talk about people's wives and mothers. Mm. Uh, I know it sounds really weird, but then no go areas. The rest of it is open slathering. You've got to be big enough to take it and to accept it. But obviously, to go to the level and the extent they have. It's quite a quite a strong racial slur, and people have got to realise that the New Zealand football team's now really quite multicultural. Um, football in this country is multicultural, and you've got to stand up for what you believe. And and we talk about values led and all the rest. And you know, to me, um, that comment, whatever it was, has crossed the line in regards. And we're not talking about some wilting flower here. We're talking about Michael Boxall, mm. who's enormous has played football all around the world, is used to all sorts of nonsense. For him to react like that, poof. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a timely issue as well, um, Chris, you know, the Vinicius Junior stuff going on at the moment. And, and look, stories almost come out every day at the moment about, you know, sort of ra- um, racist slurs in football, whether it's from, you know, people in the crowd or or um, people on the field. And, and funnily enough, even this morning, I think it was an Irish under-21 20, uh, game, was also uh, suspended because of racial comments. Is this... Is it becoming more prevalent? Are we just covering it more? It seems like there just seems to be more and more cases of this every day. Well, I think like anything, um, once people think that they've got an avenue to disrupt the player, disrupt the performance, then they're going to to do it. Um, But FIFA themselves have all these say no to racism banners and projects and all this stuff, which which is wonderful in theory, 
but it's now got to be used. And my question's always the same. Um, why did the referee, as soon as they hear a racial slur, send the player off? Uh, yeah. Why did games, you know, Vinicus, what he had to put up with the other week was just appalling, and the referee should have just called the game off, and FIFA or UEFA should have given the result to Real Madrid, because it's not like it was hidden. It's not like someone's mumbled it under your breath. And so my, my question to them, though, is always, you're making a big thing about this. It's becoming more and more prevalent. Now action needs to be taken. And unless that, it's just noise and hot air and you're just placating people, which maybe that's what it was. But this was also a friendly game. Um, it's not like World Cup points or anything's on the line. It's a friendly game. And opportunity maybe to highlight it. But if two teams on the same day are saying enough's enough, uh, then the officials have got to take it seriously. And maybe New Zealand will end up getting fined, but the conversation needs to be had. Yeah, so you mentioned they're on the field. You'd like to see you know, the referee stamp it out and send a player off. What, what, would, you, what would your um, desired reaction be to what happened this morning? Do you think Qatar, the, the national team, should be punished? Is it just the player? How do you think FIFA should react to it? Well, FIFA won't do anything. People will push this under the carpet because it's guitar, and guitar funds a whole bunch of stuff within the game as they're trying to uh, integrate themselves into the world community of football. FIFA will do nothing. Um, in fact, I wouldn't surprise me if FIFA then suddenly punished for New Zealand for not completing the game. Mm. But the reality is we've got officials in charge of the game that can manage the game. Uh, they choose not to. Uh, like, we've been talking for years about why they don't manage all sorts of things in the game. Um, and then the officials, the FIFA officials that were at the game or the match officials that were there could have done something. What we've got to do is we've got to stop having people that are not prepared to do their job, stand up and do the, do the correct thing compared to the rules and the, what's been requested of them. Mm. They've got to be brave enough to stand up and do the, the thing that they should do. Now, I don't for a second, Chris, um, think that the the all-whites of New Zealand football would, would make this up, especially when you're leading by 1-0. And, and it's just such a, a bold thing to do. I, I doubt, well, no, I, I, I say it's almost impossible that they, they would have um, lied about this. But is there an argument that if the referee didn't hear it, it, it's hard for a referee to make a call on something that they themselves didn't hear. They've got players in their ear obviously telling them what happened, but from a referee's point of view, do they need to hear it themselves in order to, to take a drastic action like send a player off? Probably. Um, but he wouldn't have been that far away from it. And my question is, most referees, I've been involved in games where uh, racial slurs were thrown and we, we made a, rape, a great big noise about it and the referee goes I didn't hear it the lines were said I didn't hear it but the lines at the time were standing in front of me so you know it's very easy to say I didn't hear it mm. um, I could imagine though that if this is a a team from probably South America who people everyone knows they flirt the, the laws of the game in their favour um, this would be uh, not taken to the same seriousness but when you're thinking it's probably a New Zealand football team um who's known for, you know, they don't tend to make stuff up. I can't see this as made up. Um, The instant reaction of all the players states me that it's not. Because when somebody's trying to achieve something, it's one person making the noise. But if you watch the tape, as soon as it's said, Marco Staminich is going, you can't say that, and and then there's a huge wow, and you're going, boy, this is pretty major. But the friendly... I'd probably go to the, the, the coach if I don't hear it as a ref and I go, how about you sub this player because he said something or, stop, you know, in rugby league they do the cross-cross of hands and saying we're going to investigate this. Yep. 
put you on report, maybe there's another thing that has to come in. Mm. Um, because, of course, if New Zealand hadn't done that and if the officials refused to do anything, and I, could, I don't know what happened at half-time to New Zealand request that player get replaced, I'm not sure. Um, if nobody does anything... What are you left with? Yeah. I mean, in a work environment, you end up striking. Uh, there has to be a avenue for players who are the only thing that really matters in the game. Everything else doesn't matter. Players are the only thing that matter. There has to be an avenue for them to highlight that something's happened and it needs to be taken seriously, mm. uh, regardless of money, impact, and all the rest. And it's interesting, the point that you made there, Chris, about you know if this was a South American team. I think that's probably the most shocking part of this is that especially for New Zealand sports fans, we don't, this stuff isn't usually associated with New Zealand. You know, you'll, you'll see this happen overseas. You'll see it happen in, in Europe or South America, and it's sort of far flung from what we're used to seeing here. But this is very close to home. You know, this is our, our New Zealand football team. It is our players making a stand, and I think that's quite significant as well. I think it's hugely significant. Um, we, as an organisation, well, as New Zealand... Um, and where we want to go, we, we talk about values, we talk about inclusiveness, we talk about fairness, we talk about all these things. And unless there's action that, you know, showcases that, then it's all just words. You know, the New Zealand football team this morning is actually um, portraying the behaviour of the values that have been uh, put in place by the New Zealand football organisation, plus the internal of the team, and they're living those values. Isn't that what we're all about, live the values uh, that you're meant to be about? Mm. In fact, if they hadn't have done this, then they're not leading the values that they're being talked about, inclusiveness, welcomeness, and all the rest uh, into the game. I know most of it's in and around uh, the integration of females in the sport, but also it's in and around um, any multicultural... They're trying to form a really big multicultural organisation that football is acceptable for everyone. And I often think that, you know, you talk about, we went to the rugby line. Uh, there seems to be a lot less racism in rugby because, you know what, you get a punch in the face, you know. And in football, it's not the same thing. So there isn't a lot of avenue left for the New Zealand team to respond. In, in the old, in an in earlier time, that player would have got up, would have run around, then two players would have hit him one after the other and massive tackles and got him off the pitch. Well, we're not allowed to do that anymore because of the rules and the referee's interpretation. They would send off the player who did it. So the more you remove the controlling tools, the more you have to respond from an official point of view. Yeah, and I think as well, uh, maybe going to the point I was making about it becoming more prevalent, maybe people are seeing the reaction of, of FIFA and the officials, seeing that absolutely nothing's happening, and that's maybe why it's becoming more prevalent. People know there's no punishment. So, you know, why, why wouldn't yes. you, in a way? Well, why wouldn't you? I mean, we see it here. If you, you know, if you're a, a white-collar criminal and you steal a whole bunch of money, or you defraud people, and you get, you know, a six-month deferred sentence and a slap on the wrist, well, that's not going to do anything. Human beings need to know what the rules are and where we sit. So FIFA, uh, FIFA's only got themselves to blame here. Um, and if they'd have treated it seriously and, you know, play games in the closed doors, you know, the Vinicius uh, situation of this right, the game's going to replay. Um, even who won. You're going to now play in an empty stadium. You're going to lose millions and millions of dollars, and this is your punishment. And you know, in real Madrid, whatever. Um, I tell you what, those people there would quite quickly sort the crowd out 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, like you mentioned, uh, very unlikely, well, from our point of view at least, that FIFA is probably going to do anything about it, although we would like to see some sort of reaction. But uh, it is a story that we will keep a close eye on because I imagine it's going to develop very quickly over the next couple of days. I uh, really appreciate you coming on, uh, my friend. Uh, thanks, thanks heaps, and we'll, uh, we'll catch up again soon. Not a problem, Sam. Chris Millicic there. Uh, some pretty strong uh, thoughts and views, and I've got to say I, I was nodding along and agreeing with pretty much all of it. Um, FIFA won't do anything. I mean, they're, they're good for putting up billboards around their grounds, but they're, they're terrible when it comes to actually taking action. Um, and it's, it's, it's baffling, isn't it? Why, why can't an organisation as big as football um, stand up to something like this? What, what is, what's happening in the background? And I know you can talk about you know, money, and especially with a team like Qatar, you know, we know the, the, the money that they bring in, but more, more overall, it's happening all over the place. Why isn't there a, a more concerted effort to do it, do with them? And there's no money in racism, is there? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it is messy. A couple of texts that have come through on double eight double three. Uh, we'll take a short break. Uh, keep those coming in. Um, I'll get to them after this. Nine minutes away from one here on ECNZ. Uh, Steph, you're away for the week, so Sammy taking you through today and tomorrow. Uh, a couple of texts that have come on the Timber Bed Post text machine, double eight double three. Uh, Dino says, Sam, surely something must have happened. I wouldn't trust the Qatar coach with a barge pole. He looks dodgy as hell. Good on New Zealand. Uh, someone says, just reading on Twitter, looks like the Ireland under 21 team walked off against Kuwait today as well due to a racial slur aimed at an Ireland substitute. Yep, that was the story that came out about the same time as the All Whites. And uh, Tim says, Sam, uh, totally back the All Whites. There is no way a New Zealand team would make this up. Also, why are Qatar doing this when they were winning well? Uh, when when New Zealand were winning? When New Zealand were 1-0 up, uh, up at the time, Tim. So uh, maybe you're saying... Uh, Qatar doing this while they're behind to try and rail them. I'm not sure, but uh, either way, yeah, I I, uh, I do back um, the All Whites 100%. And someone says, do we know what was said to Boxall and do we know if the ref heard it? Uh, well, that's the two great questions here. Firstly, we don't know what was said. And talking with Andrew Dewhurst, I asked him, do you think we have a right, or do you think people should know what was said or should we just simply leave it as a racial slur? I think, you know, everyone's appetite for gossip and rumour says that you want to hear what it was. But as long as the investigation finds that it was, you know, um, as serious as made out. I think that's all that matters. The ref supposedly didn't hear it. Well, that's certainly the evidence that people are going off at the moment. Otherwise, he maybe w- would have done something. Um, he was certainly told about it a lot at half time, but there was no reaction, nor was there from the officials, the FIFA officials. So that is really what fired up the All Whites, and that's why they uh, they refused to take the field um, there. So, uh, yeah, it is going to be a very interesting scenario in the coming days and weeks. What does happen if anything does come from it? I'm hoping New Zealand football are pursuing FIFA for it. It would be a real shame if this just sort of dies away into nothing uh, because, you know, it'll just be another another case of it swept under the rug, which is just becoming so common nowadays. Uh, we'll take another short break. Uh, when we come up, I'll let you know what's coming up between one and three. We are two minutes away from uh, one o'clock here on Afternoons. And coming up after one, we're going to chat with Jeremy Coney about the Ashes. Uh, Australia are going in to day five this evening with a target of 174. Kawaja at the crease on 34 with Scott Boland, who came in late. He's on 13. So no Warner Labuschagne and Steve Smith, who all got out uh, before the day's play ended yesterday. You'd think... um, should Boland fall sort of quickly, Kawaja and Travis Head are really Australia's only hope of putting a partnership together and getting that 174. But the great 
news is is that a result is almost certain as long as the rain stays away. Uh, a result is almost certain. Uh, do you favour England or do you favour Australia? You can text us on double eight double three, and we will catch up with Jeremy Coney after one to have a chat about it. After two, we're going to catch up with Maya Jackman. And I also want to talk uh, between now and three about two things. First is the uh, is Roy McIlroy at the US Open. I've done a lot of reading since uh, watching that final yesterday. And poor old Rory, who has just come close on so many occasions to getting that elusive next major. He hasn't won one since 2014. He was uh, one of the best off the tee throughout the entire US Open, but he was tied 42nd for the week for putting, and he averaged two putts a hole on that final round. And then there's the issue of the uh, the missed shot, I think, was it on the 8th, where he completely missed the ball and cost himself a, a penalty stroke there, ended up losing by one shot. Poor old Rory will look back on that and be very disappointed. But Wyndham Clark, a great story. I've got some audio I want to play out as well, him talking about his mum who passed away from breast cancer uh, when he was younger. So... Um, Stay tuned for that and plenty more between now and 3 o'clock. But coming up after New Sport and Weather at 1 o'clock, we will go to the great praying mantis Jeremy Coney out of the UK. Uh, welcome back into uh, Afternoons with Staffy here on ECNZ. Sammy sitting in for Staff uh, today and tomorrow. Uh, McIver will take you through Thursday and Friday. Uh, sporting droughts, Rory McIlroy, who hasn't won a major since 2014. Uh, and what about Alex Twoll on the weekend for the Tigers scoring his first NRL try after 116 games? Sporting droughts. Might do that with Robbie a bit later on, actually. The the, the greatest sporting droughts in history. Maybe you can text through the, on double eight double three what would make your list the best droughts. They could be team droughts. They could be individual droughts. You know, longest time between wickets, longest time between hundreds, longest time between tries. Text us on double eight double three. Just on the golf, uh, Dean says Rory and Scotty all have huge putter issues. That's why they don't win as often as they should. Add Ricky in there as well. Well, Ricky with the putter yesterday was horrible. Um, Scotty changed his putter before the US Open. Interesting, isn't it? Because uh, you always hear, and, I, and it was John Daly, and I think Tiger Woods all said it as well, uh, 80% of your practice should be um, short game chipping and putting because that's where 80% of your shots come from. Yet so many of us love to just go to the driving range and just whack the crap out of the ball. Chipping and putting. That's where the bread and butter is made. Uh, also, a really uh, cool piece of audio that came out on Twitter I saw overnight. Wyndham Clark, who lost his mother to breast cancer, I think, when he was at university. Um, she was the, the the person, the lady, the woman who got him into golf initially. And uh, he was very emotional when he won yesterday and, and put a big credit to his mum uh, in his post-match press conference. And uh, I think it was Ricky Fowler who went up to him and said, oh, your mum would have been watching over you today. And it's just some, yeah, it was just awesome to see the emotion on his face. Um, so I might bring that to you a little bit later on. Uh, just another text in here from Nick P that says uh, Sammy you've been caught up on the spat between Joey and Matty Johns. It is utter gold for a Queensland supporter and Munster and Thurston giving Joey a jab live on Aussie TV. I did see the jab. Nick I thought that was hilarious from uh, from Munster said have you, have you made up with your brother yet? And Joey just if looks could kill, Joey's eyes were just and not even a chuckle. Uh, I, I heard the, uh, I actually played it out here uh, on staff, for Staffy on the show when that um, audio broke of Maddie and Joey going at it. If you did, if you are not up to speed, basically on uh, I think it was on ECN, uh, Maddie and Joey were sort of talking about Origin, and Maddie started praising Queensland for how they've been coaching over the years, etc. And Joey got fired up, saying, "Why are you supporting Queensland? We grew up New South Wales. You shouldn't even entertain, you know, supporting them." And he was just saying, "Well, I'm just admiring them. You know, they're a good team, etc." And um, that's sort of where it started, and it's just escalated from there. And the brothers aren't talking. Uh, I even noticed that uh, that Maddie, uh, sorry, Joey has left his spot on the on Matty's SEN show until the end of the season. And then, uh, you know, you see comments like that from Munster and Thurston, how fired up Joey gets. It's very real, people. It's a very, very real, um, very, very real 
uh, issue. Um, anyway, we're going to chat with uh, Jeremy Coney now up in the UK. He's uh, stayed up late for us, which we uh, we do very much appreciate uh, at the moment. Uh, five of the Ashes. You can listen to it live on SENZ tonight, Australia, with 174 to win. They have seven wickets in hand. It is going to be a very enthralling day five, and Jeremy Coney joins us on the line now. Evening to you, Jeremy. Thank you, Sam. Delighted to be here. It's been a compelling game. I agree with you. Yeah, I, I honestly, Jeremy, I don't think if you had sort of looked at it at the start, you could have scripted it any better. We're heading into day five. I, I would say the draws off the table, uh, both both results in the balance. You couldn't really have asked for anything better. That's true. The only sort of, uh, you know, the, the thing that might sort of play with that um, win or lose kind of scenario is that the day five forecast here, as we know in England, oh, no. <laughs> we can't rely can't rely on the weather too much, and it's looking at the moment as if we could have uh, you know some semi to substantial kind of rain on day five. Um, so clouded skies, hooded skies, and. Uh, that may, in fact, favour the England side more than it does um, Australia. Uh, we found as soon as you get cloudy skies here, the ball starts to move a little bit more. And I know you will know that uh, Moen Ali has kind of, you know, been slid sideways out of the game, really, because of the damage to his finger. And it means that they really are left with seamers and if they have breaks in the day with rain, that will suit their seamers as well. So whenever you get that, bat, batting is, is uh, a bit harder to do, uh, having to reestablish themselves and so on. So if that happens, then you'd have to start to side with you know, England as the, as the better chance to win this game. So Australia, 174 runs, but but only seven wickets um, yeah. in hand, and obviously a full day's yeah. play should there be no rain, Jeremy. So what's the Australian approach here? Because you obviously don't want to be too conservative and start you know, losing wickets as a result, uh, but you've got a target there and a very attainable target. So how do you think they approach day five? Good question. Uh, I, I think really throughout this game, I, I've developed the feeling and more of a sense really that England really want to win this game. They have played it, you know, normal baseball sort of thing when they're batting and they've set funky fields as we've seen before through Stokes and um, they what they are pushing the game as hard as they can. Australia have sort of sat on the back foot a wee bit um, and certainly we didn't expect them to match the way that the England side play. But, but, but if it happens for them, they'll take it. I don't know whether they'll push and push and push. I get the feeling they'd be happy with a draw almost in this test match. The, the key guys, obviously, for them, Usman Khawaja, who's got 140 in the first dig, and he's sitting back rather zen-like, very calm and serene, even in the second innings. And then you've kind of, uh, I mean, Boland's there with him as, as, at the moment as a, as a night watchman. But after him, it'll be, you know, it'll be Green, and it'll be Head, and it'll be uh, Carey. After that, they don't have much. So they are going to be more cautious about the way they approach day five. Mm. How much pressure do you think will come on uh, Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum's decision to declare early? Should we 
be in a position where the game is won by one or two wickets or, or a handful of runs. How much pressure do you think is going to come on that decision in the first innings? I, I actually didn't think that was much in the sense that there'll be some who will say, you know, we had some wickets left, you're only seven down, and you've left some runs out there, particularly because Root was at the, mm. you know, at the crease. He was starting to, to hit out. And we had a kind of a solid, you know, tail ender at the other end in Robinson. But, you know, there was a, uh, equally, if you argue that, you know, there'd be others who would say, look, there's a new ball due in two overs. Um, and if they pick up a wicket, then it might only be another 50 runs. So they might go from 293 to 350, uh, 3, 393 to 450. That's another 50 runs, say, um, which is about the way that they play as an hour. Mm. So that's the only time that they've really gifted to Australia. And so I don't, I don't think it was totally significant in terms of the match. Mm. Talk to us about um, Edgebaston because I'm absolutely enthralled with like that first delivery and it gets hit through the covers by Crawley. The crowd erupts and there's there's been a lot of build up to this um, Ashes series, Jeremy. Obviously, with how England's tracking, we know Australia's basically the best Test team in the world, so the build up's been incredible. Then you go to Edgebaston, it's basically a sellout, and the crowd is just raucous. What what's it been like? You know, just just <coughs> observing it, commentating it at the ground. Uh, well, through the through the headphones, very noisy. Um, so much so, I have to take one off, <laughs> so I can still listen to the you know who's speaking to me from about three feet away. Uh, and 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 I went out a couple of times and sat outside, and it is very loud. Um, so when you've got, particularly when you've got broad, you know saying to the crowd, come on, come on, and, and, and egging them on slightly. They are very responsive. It's mainly in the Hollies stand, which is away to our right from where we're commentating, and they are up for it, you know. So you've got bananas and you've got nurses and you've got, you know, Dracula and you, you've got the whole lot in the stand, carrots, nice little sort of patch carrots and a couple of parsnips and so um that, that's that they're taking it away and some of the others um not quite so loud um i was actually in the sort of the 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 chairman's lounge today and we were just down the front and certainly there are people there applauding like wildly you know in their seats to get to get behind Stuart broad um, who's egging them on. And so it, it's a lovely atmosphere, really. I mean, there's been, it hasn't been, you know, from the rest of the crowd, not too raucous, but, but the Hollies stand are up for it, you know. Yeah, awesome to see uh, on TV and listen to here on SENZ. Um, Jeremy, I want to talk to you about the wicket because before the Ashes series, Ben Stokes told the curators over there in England he wanted batter-friendly wickets. There's been a little bit of criticism of that, but it does fit the baseball style. Does it feel like that's what the game has offered up. It's been very batter-friendly because you look at the scorecard and see a lot of wickets and the, the totals aren't overly high. Um, so has the wicket been what you would classify as a batter-friendly wicket or has it been more the, the tactics of both sides that have determined what we're seeing on the scorecard? Well, I think, I mean, for a start, you've got a you know, lush, green, verdant outfield uh, and you've got this brown kind of pitch 
uh, in the middle, which looks a little bit as if you're transported to Multan or Karachi. Mm. And so it is a very dry pitch, especially now after four days that we've had player traffic running up and down. You can see quite clear footmarks and targets for spin bowlers, um, even though, of course, you know, the, the English side that have selected Moen Ali late in two years, he hasn't bowled a red ball. They asked him to bowl 29 overs on the trot, basically, on the first time that he gets a chance to hold a red ball. And, of course, surprise, surprise, he's actually done a finger and he can't actually he can't feel the ball. He's got a. It's a quite a large blood blister that's that he that that is raw now, and he he can't turn the ball because it's too much pain. So it ends up as a full toss and so on. So he's kind of really out of the game now. I think mm-hmm. I'll be most surprised if he can bowl too much on day five. Um, but it, it, it is a dry pitch. If the cloud is, you know, is removed and it's just a nice pristine blue sky, very much a batsman's pitch. And then as soon as the cloud comes over, uh, the ball starts to move a little bit for the seamers. If we get rain as well or rain is threatened, then the ball starts to move in the air and off the pitch as well. So you've got three or four different scenarios depending whether the, I mean, the pitch has not changed at all, but the overheads have. And that is quite weird. It doesn't happen so much in New Zealand, but here it does. Mm-hmm. And, and I think tomorrow it may, if the forecast is right and it's not pristine blue skies overhead, I think you'll find that the seamers from England will really enjoy this rather more. And then the breaks that I'm talking about when it rains, that's again suiting them even more. And because of the aged sort of attack through Anderson and Broad that they have, they're going to get breaks. So they'll be up for it. And if they every, every time they pick up a wicket during a short spell before it rains again, if that's going to be the day's pattern, then it's going to suit England a lot more than it does Australia. Mm. All right. Well, just before we let you go, Jeremy, uh, I'm not sure if you like throwing out predictions, but what do you see happening on day five? Or can you just give me uh, your your predicted result? Oh, just a sense. It's only a sense. And and, and, uh, Kawaj is there, and as I've mentioned, head will attack attack the uh, English attack. Camgrey will try as hard as he can. Carey is more of a hitter. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a hard one to call. But if I had a sense right here now, I would say that because of the weather, if that occurs, I would start to favour England slightly more than I do Australia. Mm. Awesome. Well, we're very much looking forward to, uh, forward to it, Jeremy. I will be tuning in from 10pm tonight on ECNZ to listen to your dulcet tones and hear all the texts on double eight double three which I know you love. Uh, so, <laughs> so, no, mate, uh, it's relentless. Every morning I've got to talk about double eight, double three. And I actually, it's, it's actually a combination of Brooks, you know, the, you know, the shirt that they wear with the number yep. on the back. Yep. Brooke is actually 88. Two fat ladies. He goes to the bingo hall. And then the secondly, it's, it's Labashane, who's 33. I can't believe it. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. Fantastic. Jeremy, can't wait for it. And, uh, and really appreciate you jumping on as always. Go well.
Cheers, Sam. Good to hear from you. Take care. There you go, Jeremy Coney, head of the UK. There, love the double eight. If you haven't seen the videos on uh, on Twitter, uh, on the SCNZ Twitter, go and watch them with Jeremy Coney and these little rhymes and songs. It's it is high level from the Praymantis, and looking forward to hearing him this evening. Who have you got? Folks, who have you got in the ashes? Double eight, double three, or jump on the phone if you want. Oh eight hundred one five zero eleven. It's going to be a cracking day five. Like I said, I think the key, obviously, Labuschagne and Travis Head, who's about to come in when Scotty Boland heads out. Um, and look, if Boland can, if they can put on say twenty runs before he does fall, then that's a target of one fifty for Labuschagne and Travis Head to go after. And I know they've got some handy batters in behind them, but I just think with the pressure on, depending on what the weather's doing, it's got to be between Kawaja and Travis Head. What was that, Robbie? Did I say Labuschagne? I meant Kawaja. I meant I meant Kawaja. Um, what do you reckon, Robbie? I know you're a massive cricket fan. Chime in. Yeah, that's a. I, I, I can't. I can't. I can't be on live radio saying I think Australia is going to win. Can yeah, of I? Course, so, of course, of course not. You think they're going to chase down the one seventy four? No, I just said I don't. Oh, I can't okay. be saying that. You can't be saying that. No, you can't. But t- suggest Back that you, maybe you can. Um, the, the big one, obviously, is, as um, Jeremy Coney said, is Mo and Ali, who basically can't bowl, so it's all up to the seamers. Um, and I'm not sure. How many overs did they get through last night, um, Robbie? Do you know? Uh, having a look here, 30 overs. So they've got a while before they get a new ball. And given that uh, it may, may rain as well, they might only get one ball today. They might not get, get to a new ball. We'll see. Uh, but text us through on double eight double three or give us a call 0800 Let me know who you think is going to win the Ashes this evening. Uh, we'll come back with your texts and calls after this. Just got a notification on my computer that says don't don't miss out on the Unreal toy toy deals from today's live shopping brought to you by the warehouse. Is that targeted advertising? Toy, I don't really. I mean, maybe for my young kid, but um, I don't really need any toys anyway. Moving on, twenty five minutes past one. Uh, lots of ticks on double eight double three. Uh, who's going to win the Ashes this evening? Ken says Sam, I've got England with the Aussie two top two batsmen out. Just great viewing and listening. Cheers, Ken. It is great, uh, both great listening and great viewing, uh, Ken. Uh, and you've you've taken England, although somebody else is texting saying I think the weather, uh, I think weather allowing Aussie will chase it down. Here's the thing: it is a very attainable target, 174. That is, that is very much uh, in you know Australia. You'd say might be in the box seat. However, it is day five. It's a packed out crowd at Edgbaston. They've lost three wickets, and you know that might be a mental block for them. And and you can't play conservative as, and you can't just tick your way up to 174. A, because of the rain, but B, if you start doing that and then you do lose a wicket or two and all of a sudden you've got to chase 130 with, you know, your fault four or five down, all of a sudden the, it does look very hairy. So it's just going to be awesome. It's just going to be awesome watching. The atmosphere is going to be electric. If there's wickets, the crowd's going to go mental. It's a good Aussie contingent over there as well, actually, that have been getting, getting very loud. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be glued 10 p.m. tonight, I reckon the first couple of hours are going to be where all the action is. Dean says, uh, drive for show, putt for dough isn't a pie in the sky saying. So, so true. Yeah, about the uh, the U.S. Open. Um, talking about sporting droughts, given that Rory hasn't, uh, Rory McIlroy hasn't won a major since 2014. Uh, we're going to talk about sporting droughts in the next hour. The top five sporting droughts of all time. You can text that in on double eight double three. Uh, someone says here, the Sharks, uh, Natal, now the Sharks, won the Curry Cup for the first time in their centenary year, 100 years of trying. That's from Andre. I've actually got the game up on the screen I think now Andre I've got Sharks v Pumas uh, they're down by six points obviously a replay and that must this must be the final is it um, that's remarkable 100 years there's a few other sporting organizations who had to wait, wait 100 years as well someone says how many games did it take Owen Franks to score a try for the Crusaders hashtag drought well not just the Crusaders but the All Blacks Owen Franks he might appear on my list 
I'll tell you about that next hour. Uh, Mayo, is it Mayo? This is from Gaz. Mayo winning an all-island in Gaelic football. Haven't won since the curse in the 50s. So there you go. What's that, 70-odd years? For me, it's the Maple Leafs in the NHL. Haven't won since 1967. Sorry to Swinks. And a text in here from Chris that says, Lads, I'm standing outside my meeting pretending to be on the phone call. Refuse to leave when Jeremy Coney is on. Could listen to that guy for days and days on end. Cheers, Chris. And he is a master, Jeremy Coney, in the commentary box. And we caught him very late at night, and he had had a couple of wines as well. So uh, he did a good job, all things considering. Um Fantastic. Um, after 2 o'clock, I, I've, I've talked a little bit about this, but I do want to flesh it out with you a little bit. After 2 o'clock, we're going to catch up with Maya Jackman, who plays for Western Springs at the moment. Of course, she's a former football firm, played many games for the, the national team. And the story that we talked about on air a couple of weeks ago, where Western Springs football, their, their women's senior team, basically took a stand uh, against the club and the executive committee because of what they saw as uh, sort of inequality um, and equity between the, the male first team and the women's first team. Now, got to stress this as well before we chat to Maya. It's got nothing to do with money in the sense of, you know, when you're talking professional sport um, and you bring in the money conversation, people will talk about the argument, well, if they bring in as much money as the as the men, then they can get paid the same. These are amateur clubs and amateur competitions. There is no prize money for winning. So for Western Springs to pay their men's team as much as they pay their women's team, it, it's there's no difference in that in terms of the added benefit on the other side and women's football is one of the fastest growing uh, sectors of football so uh, women and girls football so you can't argue that oh you know the men bring more people to play the game at the club because the women are pretty much doing a better job anyway uh, so the first team the women's first team did take a stand against the club refused to play they weren't having their demands met um, and it was simple things like access to fields access to equipment uh, you know they would never play on the first field because it was always reserved for the men um, they were getting you know old kits and just just a whole bunch of stuff um They've reached a settlement, the players, the team, and uh, Western Springs. That broke last night. Uh, so we're going to talk uh, to Maya Jackman, who is a part of the Western Springs setup, on uh, I guess how relieved they are to get this um, squared off and how monumental it is for women's football and in the year of a Women's Football World Cup in New Zealand as well. It's, uh, that's pretty major. So we'll talk with Maya Jackman after 2 o'clock as well. And, and I will touch on the uh, the US Open between 2 and 2.30. want to bring you that audio from uh, Wyndham Clark, who, who won... His first major yesterday is a seventh attempt. The highest he had finished was 75th, and he goes and wins the US Open in 2023. Quite remarkable. And uh, a bit of controversy as well around Rory McIlroy and that uh, embedded ball on the, was it the 16th, I think? The embedded ball on the front side of the bunker, uh, or the back side of the bunker. Interesting times, people thinking that... Uh, the, the top pros get special treatment. So all of that between 2 and 3 o'clock. Uh, we're going to take a, a break for news, sport and weather now. Uh, we're going to catch up with Brendan Popwell out of the TAB. We'll also find out what's making news between now and 2. But news, sport and weather next. Right, it is time to go to the TAB. Just before we do get there, though, uh, Dino says, Sam, Gen X era nostalgia toys like Masters of the Universe, G.I. Joe, etc. are big resale businesses in the US. You can make heaps on toys if you're into 80s era toys. That was in reference to the uh, alert I got on my laptop asking me to uh, check out the Unreal toy deals from the warehouse. Anyway, Brendan Popper on the line from the TAB to talk us through uh, all the exciting odds today and further through the week. Uh, Pops, welcome in. Hey, Sammy. You are good, mate? I'm doing fantastically well, mate. Uh, US Open wrapped up yesterday. Me and uh, Paulie were basically giving a play-by-play uh, as Rory was finishing up and Wyndham Clark was about to win. Mate, how many people backed Wyndham Clark at, at the beginning of the tournament? Oh, look, there was a few speakies, but um, look, overall it was uh, a winning result for the tab because, uh, as you'd imagine, Rory McIlroy was at the, at the top end of the book and 
Uh, there was a few bets floating around Rory and then uh, Wyndham's at the other end. So, um, yep, there was a few punters out there, I think, that rolled some uh, pretty nice tickets around that sort of was it 100 to 1 or somewhere around that 100 run plus mark. Um, mm. But, yeah, look, look what, a, what a tournament to take in, though. I mean, um, you know, Ricky Fowler was there to win it and, and fell away, but Wyndham Clark, he just he held his nerve. Uh, incredible viewing, it really was. And uh, Rory just... You just can't quite get there. No, you got to feel you got to feel sorry for Rory. I did read that it was the lowest ever uh, four round score at a U.S. Open by a non winner. Uh, so wow. essentially, would have won every other U.S. Open, <laughs> just not this year. I mean, isn't that just the story of Rory over the last nine years? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Unfortunately, and, and just can't get the, the putts just can't drop when he wants them to drop. Basically, at crucial periods. I, I will say, just while we're chatting about golf, that um, of course the. the the uh, the British Open coming up is, is yep. the next major coming up, the uh, Open Championship. And we have taken some money on Ricky Fowler during, look, his, his very good play in the US Open. He has been a well-backed player already to win that particular uh, major coming up. He was circling it around that sort of 50, 60 zone. He's now $36 uh, is Ricky Fowler. And what I will say about Ricky Fowler, he has shown some form coming into this tournament. It was... Not a shock for many to say that he could run, he could play well this weekend. Uh, there were some nice tickets floating around on him. So, yeah, there's been a movement on him at $36. And the same can be said about Rory. He is the equal favourite to win the Open Championship mm. at $9 uh, with Scotty Scheffler. Interesting. Who's who's in behind them? Who are the next favourites behind Scheffler and, and Rory? Uh, you got uh, John Rahm, $10. Kepka, $13. And also Cameron Smith. I just feel as though Cameron Smith's building again. Yes. Of course, he won it last year. He had a very good round, uh, his final round yesterday. Uh, look, a number of bogeys in that third round probably led him down to not finishing closer, really. Uh, so he's not too far away, and, and uh, maybe that's the key tournament for him to try and go back-to-back. So he's $19, another golfer that's taken support off the back of the U.S. Open. Yeah, I don't mind that, Cam Smith. Um, Ashes, Pops, what are, what, are the, what are the TAB saying for the Ashes this evening? Day five coming up. Uh, is, what are, what's the draw at, actually? Because I know there's a bit of rain hanging about. I feel like there's going to be a result. I feel like it's going to be Aussie or England, but there is some rain. You know, the draw is the best-backed option at the moment. Wow. Um, it's $7, and the draw has taken a lot of heat. Uh, and whenever there's weather involved, uh, punters love to gravitate towards the draw. Now, is there going to be enough rain? How much rain is there going to be? Are all those questions in front of us? Let's hope it doesn't come to that, uh, because we, we really do have a, an exciting day five test match in front of us. England 205, if it's not the draw... There has been some money for England at the 205, but Australia are not friendless as well at $2.20. Wow. All three options are getting touched up, yeah. but the draw is the one as we've seen the, the traction and, the, and, the, and I guess the attractiveness of $7 with some rain about. $2 versus 220 that is very, very interesting. Uh, what else is going on uh, this week, Pops? I mean, there's just so much sport on at the moment. Uh, what else have we got going yeah. on at the TAB? Look, State of Origin, definitely State of Origin is... Uh, the, the, the next one that's taking everyone's centre of attention, and it's all about um, Queensland. They are very strongly supported. We've taken a four and a half thousand dollar bet on Queensland at a dollar forty six to move into one forty two. Uh, New South Wales two eighty. If you do want to back New South Wales, the punters are looking towards that one to twelve line. That has been a well taken winning team and margin line of New South Wales one to twelve at three seventy five. If you're thinking Queensland's going to win, we've actually seen a push towards 13 and over. Wow. Uh, at 288 uh, on Queensland 13 and over. So mm. thinking they win, they win big. New South Wales win, they win tight. 
uh, as we were seeing things at the moment. Heaps of power plays, a lot of power plays to work into. Um, as always in these type of games, drop goal. Uh, $6 is the price around drop goal, and we've seen a little bit of support uh, around the drop goal in this match, and also try scorers. Uh, punters love to dive into their try scorers, and both of our boosted uh, power play options of Brockton to score a try in New South Wales to win 1 to 12 at 8.50 has been boosted, or Xavier Coates, anytime try scorer, Queensland 1 to 12 boosted to 5.50. Both of those have taken some action. Pops, do you remember last year during Origin? I feel like we had this conversation about drop goals. <laughs> yes, do we have this we conversation? And, and wasn't it wasn't it some crazy stat that there hasn't been a drop goal in like eight or nine years or something like that? Yeah, I, I feel as though that, that that did happen last year. Uh, we were we were discussing this. Uh, we, we've we've discussed drop goals a lot um, because I know we also looked at trying. I think we created it in the end. Our first half. That's uh, right. Goal. That might have been for the finals. Um, it was for I the finals, yeah. It was the Eels. It was actually the Eels. Was it for the grand final, Eels Panthers? Oh, no, I'm pretty sure it was for one of the prelims, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I'll yeah, tell you I what. think you bang on the mark there about the drop goal and state of origin, but um, it's, Hunters are thinking it's maybe time to reverse that. Oh, and the other one too. Uh, Daily Cherry Evans, 40-20, uh, $7.00. Uh, is also taking a bit of a hit, and we did we see that in the first game? I think we did, didn't we? A forty twenty from Daly Cherians. Yes, I'm thinking he did definitely hit one for Manly recently. Not sure if there was one in State of Origin, but that is a very tasty one. What's that sitting at? Yeah, that's sitting at four uh, seven dollars. Wow. Okay. That yeah, I'd I'd be having a look at that without a shadow of a doubt. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Pops. I'm going to go, I'm going to put my research head on. I'm going to go find out when the last time there was a drop goal. That's the sort of, that's the sort of stuff I love to uh, dip my toes into. And that's why I lose all my money. Um, but, uh, but awesome stuff, mate. We got to run. Uh, thanks for jumping on. We'll, we'll catch up again on Thursday. Sounds good. Awesome. There you go. Pops from the TAB. You can be it live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app or jump on the website. Uh, Take a break. And I'm going to beaver away and work out how many drop goals there have been in State of Origin and when the last one was. We'll also find out what is making news from the great Robinho after this. Ladies and gentlemen, I've I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world. We're going to find out from Robbie very shortly what is making news. Uh, last time a successful field goal in State of Origin, 2015. Cooper Cronk hit one. It was 11-10, that score, and that was in Game 1, the Maroons uh, beating the Blues. Uh, but 2015, you have to go back, what's that, eight years. Uh, there's been a couple of attempts over the um, last couple of years, especially there was one in Game 1 last year, but uh, unsuccessful. So if you if you are keen, I think he said seven bucks, didn't he, B-Pops? That's, uh, that's a bit of a return. Uh, Robbie. Greetings. That, that could have been my fact. Could have been, actually. I probably should have saved that. Um, no, it's all right. I've got some. What is making news, mate? What is making news? We're going to the States first. Brilliant. A uh, team of Connecticut high schoolers danced for 25 kilometres in a conga line to break a world record and raise money for an adult daycare centre. Okay, let's unpack that for a second. So we're in the state of Connecticut, yeah. uh, just south of Massachusetts. Um, high school? High school. High school. And they form a conga line for 20Ks. 25 kilometres. Is, um, is the line 25 k's, or did they did they dance along for 25 k's? So it's yes, yeah, so they dance along for 25 k's. Right. Uh, they dance nearly 16 miles or 25 kilometres to break the Guinness World Record for the longest distance danced in a conga line, which was <laughs> of, course. Uh, of course, which was set at 15.53 miles 
by a group of dancers in the Netherlands in February 2020. Uh, One of the most revered records known to man. Of course. The, uh, the big conga line Hope SNZ is going to try to break that one. Mm. Um, but yeah, the event was organised by a single high school student. He led a conga line for 64 laps around the track at the school stadium. How, uh, how long? Because 25k is basically a half marathon, or it's more than a half marathon. How long? Yeah, I don't actually know how, um, how long it took them. That's Probably a, a couple of hours. Um, yeah. And they raised how much? Eight and a half grand. For the childcare. Thank for you, uh, adult ad, adult daycare centre. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, Fundraising good... efforts still going on. That's a great that's a great effort. Twenty five k's on the conga line. Yep. Wouldn't see me be there for twenty five k's. Conga lines get too messy. Uh, they're good at the start, and then once they start to pick up pace, going around the room, yeah. too more, too many people jump in. Yeah. You start running to the people into the people who don't want to be a part of it, and uh, you know, arguments, you can't just dip off when start. they're in the middle. Correct. Arguments start. Right. What else you got? Do you, do you hear about the uh, woman in Ecuador, Sam? Um, I am familiar of uh, I am familiar with females in Ecuador, but right. uh, <laughs> the please specific tell me. one. Maybe it, not. It, I don't it's know. quite a You're vague like, request. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, a seventy-six-year-old woman was declared dead at a hospital in Ecuador. Okay, I don't um, know. I don't know this one. Sorry, you don't know that. Yeah, don't okay. know her. All right, not fair familiar. enough. Uh, death certificate was issued. She was put in a common uh, coffin. Which was common procedure, I guess. And uh, after spending five hours inside the coffin in a funeral home, she was heard knocking and found to be alive. Wow, that is... Um, didn't you have a fake death story yesterday? Yeah, the Belgian TikTok faked his own death. a bit of a theme to your stories here, Robbie. Um, yep. I can't think of anything more terrifying no. than being at a funeral and hearing the coffin make a noise. No. Yeah, well, um, she has now unfortunately died for a second time from a, from a, from a stroke <laughs> after seven days in intensive care. Oh, um, come on, Robbie. Yeah. Well, it's morbid, mate. So, but so she came back to life, but then she. But how long was she alive for before? before Seven she, days. It's a good second chance. It is, you know. But I second chance I think, at life. By the sounds of things, she was in intensive care, so it wasn't really it. I see. Yeah, I see. Anyway, uh, that's yeah, a bit depressing. It man. is a tiny bit. That's why it's not my last story. Um, okay, good. But yeah, technical committee has been formed to review how the hospital issues death certificates. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah, of Naturally. course. Um, and now. Yeah, le- less morbid this one mm-hmm. um, for mm-hmm. sure. Now I'm from Wisconsin originally, and uh, so Are you actually from there. Well, I was born there. Yeah, oh, I did not know that. Yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah. I know. So, um, yeah, state of cheese. Yeah, we're, we're about some Wisconsin. Don't like cheese. That's that's my fun that fact. Is, I, it, yeah. That is ironic. Um, um, we're about some Wisconsin. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. The yeah, pe- yeah. Wow, what, that is the main like capital of Wisconsin, is it? Madison's Milwaukee? the capital. Madison. Okay. Uh, but Milwaukee is like the but, big yeah, city on the lake. Milwaukee and, Bucks yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I did not know that. How old were you when you moved here? Like two. Wow, so, that, that's a great. Yeah, claim I've been to back fame. a few times, and all my family's over there. But yeah, um, that's why it's not very obvious. And you're a massive Boston fan, which is really surprising. Um, so anyway, <laughs> that what? is extremely surprising, <laughs> even to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so when a story starts with a Wisconsin man, I've yes. got to jump right at it. Um, so a Wisconsin man has created an unlikely bond with a wild fish, and the two reportedly meet every summer at the same spot. Okay. So uh, they reportedly became friends mm-hmm. while on a dive in September of 2021. Okay. And the man's even named the fish, mm-hmm. Elvis. Naturally. Yeah, of course. And uh, him and Elvis now reportedly see each other every year when he travels back to the lake where he lives. The man's also said that Elvis gets jealous if other fish get too close to him. <laughs> Elvis, come on, man. And he's apparently taught Elvis a call that he'll respond to. And when he hears it, he'll swim towards him. Is it a call or a song for young Elvis? Well, they're underwater. I don't know if it's going to be much of a song. I think um, it's more of a throat noise. So the question is, how does he know it's Elvis? Yes, that yeah. is that's coming up. Okay, here we go. Uh, so yeah, the um, after their first encounter, the man returned to the same spot a couple of weeks later. Mm. Elvis recognised him and, and approached him. So he fed him some crawfish, 
apparently he follows him around and just stares at him. Yeah, but so, how, does, um, how does the man know and that? And here's the okay, next okay, sentence. I'm, in, I'm impatient. I'm impatient. Now, he has said he can recognise Alvis mm-hmm. due to a scar that the fish has on his face, okay. uh, most likely from being caught by a fisherman. And um, speaking of which, he does say, of course, he does sometimes fear the worst, that Alvis has been caught. Uh, and as of last, uh, last year, when he returned, it took him a while to find him. But as of yet, I don't think he's been caught. So fingers crossed. That's a phenomenal story, Robbie. I'll give you that one. Thank that you. is phenomenal. And uh, you did quell my suspicions that he didn't know which fish he was talking to. Yep. Have you seen the, uh, the doco on Netflix, My Octopus Teacher? I have not. It is phenomenal. I recommend that for anyone out there. If you just want a nice uh, Tuesday viewing this evening, get home, put on My Octopus Teacher, because the thing that reminded me about that was when you said he was unsure whether he'd get taken by a fisherman or not. Mm. Um, in that documentary, the guy who goes out and meets up with his octopus sort of on the, on the daily so it always has this fear that he's going to go out and the octopus is going to be gone or you know a shark's eating it or whatever. It, it is just a phenomenal doco. And right. the camera work and the cinematography Great. is unrivaled. Do you got a fact? I've got a few very random facts Brilliant. today. The, random, um, the, the more random, the better. The first one is one that I that it isn't too random. I'd, I'd already heard it, so I'm going to start off with it. The typewriter is the longest word you can type with only the top row of your keyboard. Wow, just doing it now. Fantastic. Yeah. Great fact. Yeah. I and, like it. Uh, another one, spiral staircases uh, in medieval castles run, castles run clockwise. Okay. And this is because all knights used to be right-handed. When the intruding army would climb the stairs, they would not be able to use their right hand, which was holding the sword, because of the difficulties of climbing the stairs. Oh, yeah, and sort of reaching across. Yeah. And left-handed okay. knights would have, would have had no trouble, except left-handed people could never become knights because they were assumed to be descendants of the devil. Wow. Great fact, Robbie. Great Thank you. fact, man. That is, I'm going to put that on my list as, as one of my faves. Please, please do. And uh, I, I will leave you with just one very random one that I don't know who figured this out. But apparently mm. the house fly hums in the middle octave key of F. Mm. Perfect pitch, is, is that F? Some people say. Right. Mm. Perf- what do you say? The middle octave between F and F? Well, yeah, I guess so. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's go and find what that is. Okay. Could be, we've got a recording of this now because we we're recording on this. So we're going, mm, and we'll see how, how it compares, eh? Great. All right, that's what's making news. We'll be back after a break. Okay, moment of truth. Robbie has gone out and got uh, the note that we were talking about that a house fly buzzes at. He's going to compare it to what I've got. Robbie, moment of truth. Yes. Okay, now, over to you. The first test yes. was... Uh, you, you hummed what you thought was an F three times throughout that segment. Was it different every time? Here's the first time. Mm. Then we go. Mm. That's about the same. I'll give you that. Then, then we go. We've gone slightly up. So if I <laughs> if I if I head over to my uh, virtual keyboard, yes, sir. Ah, oh, that's not far off. That's an F. Mm. It's not. I think you're there. That's an F sharp. Uh, I'm off by half a step. And then you go up to what I think is a G <laughs> for that third one. We're going musical theory oh, here. So I'm in the middle. I need to meet in the middle somewhere. Um, now you got F sharp and G, oh, so right, you're, you're down, down slightly. Down. Yeah, so yeah. you go down. But Still, a, a though, solid I will effort. take that, mate. I will take that Very, just yeah. off the bat. Man. Pretty stoked myself, to be honest, folks. What a... 
Pretty stoked for myself. Uh, coming up to 2 o'clock, Newsboard and Weather Not Far Away, when we come back, Maya Jackman, uh, who is the former football fern, of course, playing now for Western Springs, and the story yesterday that the Western Springs women's football team have settled with the executive committee on some changes, some very important changes to uh, women's football in that space. So we're going to chat with Maya Jackman. We'll talk some US Open as well. Your top five sporting droughts back in the day. We've got it all coming between two and three. Stay with us. Coming up, four minutes past two here on ECNZ Afternoons with Steph. You know Steph for the rest of the week. So Sammy sitting in today and tomorrow. And then uh, Stephen McIver will be on Thursday, Friday. I won't be here Friday either because we have uh, Warriors Dragons Friday night. Uh, build up from nine o'clock. Live commentary at ten. Uh, from Wynn Stadium up in Wollongong. Ken, who is a massive Dragons fan, says, Sam, sounds like Ben Hunt will play Dragon, will play Dragons 245 head-to-head at home. Going to be a nervous game for Warriors and Dragons. Different beast at home. Can't wait. Cheers, Ken. Now, Ken, uh, I agree. The Warriors traditionally struggle up there uh, in Wollongong, and the Dragons at home are a different beast. However, no Ben Hunt, and I think the Warrior, it's an easy win for the Warriors. If they do have Ben Hunt, let's assume... Queensland win tomorrow night. In fact, for Warriors fans, you'd hope that Queensland do win. Long celebrations, late night for Ben Hunt, only sort of gets himself back on his feet on uh, Thursday, and then he's got a 24-hour turnaround before he's got the game on Friday night. Plus, all the stuff going on with the Dragons at the moment, Ken, I think $2.45 is probably a fair price for them at the TAB. But uh, Warriors Friday night, and we do have live commentary uh, build up, like I said, from nine, and then uh, kickoff is going to be at 10 o'clock. Uh, but as I've mentioned throughout the show, uh, we have been following the story very, very closely. We, we talked about it on air around about a month ago when it first broke. Uh, the women's senior team at uh, Western Springs, who had taken a stand really against. Uh, I guess some decision making around the club and a little bit of uh, inequity that um, had been taking place. And we fleshed that out, um, Staffy and myself, and we kept a close eye on it. It's been going through mediation, and they uh, they got a, a resolution yesterday afternoon, and it is a uh, privilege and a pleasure to welcome onto the show uh, a former football fern who is now involved with Western Springs, uh, Maya Jackman. Welcome in, Maya. Thank you for having me. First of all, um, how relieving is it to uh, to have this squared away and settled yesterday afternoon? Oh, uh, yeah, like I can't even tell you um, how relieving it is. It's um, it's a big relief to have it um, sort of tucked away now. Talk to us about what I guess the last month has been like. You don't obviously don't can't go into specifics about uh, the mediation, etc. But just from the players' point of view, how difficult has it been? And of course, not playing as well. Yeah, it's been extremely difficult um, for some more than others. Um, we had a, a senior group that sort of took the lead um, and, and that was that was stressful. But then you've also got some extremely young girls who, you know, at the end of the day just want to kick a ball. Um, so mm. having to go through this and having to, um, to try and understand um, the intricacies of it and sometimes not being able to um, communicate too much from the leadership group and just trusting that the leadership group are doing the right things is really tough on some of these these young girls. Mm, absolutely. Just for, I guess, a couple of the or listeners out there, Maya, who perhaps aren't well-versed in the story and, and some of the things that you were looking to get changed at the club, uh, following the, the settlement yesterday, what are some of those key things that, that you are, you're really happy are now going to change at the club? Oh, look, we... Um, I think in the beginning it was just... Uh, having conversations and, and being heard and valued and um, 
and along the way, you know, uh, the equality equity piece came in as well. Um, and but what's what's coming in now is we'll, we'll have a um, a little bit more um, diversity in, in, in governance in, in the club, and we've got um, a, a new uh, women's and girls um, person that's overseeing the, the women's game. Um, we've got pay parity, which is amazing um, with the with the men's team, um, you know, and, and just more equity everywhere. Talk to us about, um, I know when we discussed this story a month ago, one of the things that was brought up with things like, uh, you know, not getting fair access to, to the, the first team fields, um, you know, uh, changing sheds, equipment and that sort of thing. And some people, I guess, look at that and might say that, that that's trivial. From a player's perspective, what does it mean to, to have access to the best facilities at a, at a football club? Oh, it's, um, you know, it shouldn't be genderized. Um, it's... It's just you play football and you want to play to the best of your abilities and you want to play um, and train with and on um, the best equipment that you can to give you the best, um, the, the best, so you can be your best. Um, you know, not not sort of stuck on a field that that doesn't, is, is maybe not as good. Or um, I know, like it was it was difficult to often have a consistent and for people that have long-term injuries you've you've got to have someone consistent who's looking after you and if you're, if you're injured you want to trust that person and know they're taking you through the process well um, it's hard to get good physios I, I understand but um, you know just just resources that are really great and that doesn't put you at any kind of compromised um, mm. position in terms of injuries or playing or or anything like that what has the, um, I guess, reaction and the support been like, not only through the last month and a half of you, as you've been going through this, but also yesterday when the news news broke? Sorry, what was that? I missed that. The, the support and the reaction of oh, not just the last yeah. month, but, but after the news broke yesterday. The, the support has been unbelievable um, from right from around the club, outside the club, um, men, women, um, players, coaches, there's, there's been so much support, not just in our sport, but other sports as well. Um, it's something that's not confined to football. Um, this is happening in, in women's sport all over the country, all over the world. So um, where, where there's, no, there's not equity or equality um, or even just feeling valued. So mm. um, the, the support has been unreal. It sort of leads into my next question, Maya. Um, you've been around football for a while now and been involved at the highest level. How, I guess, um, big or monumental is this decision going to be for, for football? And, and like you mentioned, some of the other sports moving forward. Oh, you know, it's, 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 it's huge, I feel. Uh, you know, I have been around for um, too long. <laughs> um, and... Um, you know where the game was and where it's got to um, has moved in leaps and bounds. Um, but this is just something even more special to be able to um, come up with a solution that allows, you know, feeling valued and, uh, and allowing equality. And, and you know, big ups to the club for um, eventually coming around and really putting out some really great um, things that they are going to bring to the table. Uh, you know, it, it took a wee while, but. Sometimes these things do, and um, you know they they we both uh, parties went into mediation with um, you know lots of faith, and we have come out with 
something that is groundbreaking and hopefully other clubs um, around the country sort of look inwards and look at themselves and say, are we really doing the best that we can in the women's area? Um, are other sports really doing the best that they can in, in the women's area? And look at this as a, a template for what really can be achieved if you really believe in what you're fighting for and if you have a, a you know, I think at the end of the day, the unity within this group um, this team is phenomenal. Um, mm. the, the culture within the team and the uh, ability for us to stay uh, together and tight through this entire process, that, that is huge. And so numbers of people and really standing up and supporting each other is, is, is huge. And, and it's okay to, you know, it can be frightening to ask for what you really believe in and what you need. Um, but it can it can work and it can happen. Yeah, and everyone I think does applaud uh, Maya the fact that you know you, you took a stand and, and didn't play like you said. There's a lot of people who you know are just are just wanting to kick a football. So it's a very admirable decision that you guys made and and significant as well. I think you mentioned um, you hope that other other clubs and sports take notice. Significant as well, given uh, we've got a major women's football tournament coming to this country this year, isn't it? Oh, 100%. You know, we've got, uh, what, 2.2 billion eyes on this country in Australia. And, you know, there's lots of this type of um, movement happen happening around the world. And, um, and you know, New Zealand um, has, and Western Springs has a really um, good opportunity to be a leader in this space um, and making changes for the better and, um, and you know, get, getting to a space where it shouldn't be really a conversation that's had it's something that's just implemented in your sport and in your club um so yeah we um are pretty excited that it's something that's happened now and it's come to this point right before the world cup um i'm sure people will get wind of it when they're they're here norway are um training at western springs so they'll be absolutely stoked to know that western springs are a, a, now a leading club in that space yeah no, that's absolutely awesome, Maya. And we are stoked for you. Like I said, when we uh, broke the story or, or talked about the story about a month ago, we have been following it uh, with a keen eye and, and stoked that uh, the result that you've got is, is one that you're all happy with. So uh, thanks heaps for coming on. And, uh, yeah, let's hope it's just a step to, to lead to better and, and more things in the future. Thanks heaps for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me. There you go. Maya Jackman, their former football fan and involved with the Western Springs women's senior team. So important it is in a World Cup year to showcase to the world that uh, we are at the forefront of, uh, you know, equity and equality in women's sport. And, and like I've said to a lot of people who potentially push back at, say, the money thing and say, oh, well, you know, if they don't bring as much money in as the men, then they shouldn't get paid the same. And I just constantly reiterate, this, this is an amateur football club, an amateur football competition. There is no prize money. There isn't professional contracts. Well, there shouldn't be. Um, so these women asking to just be at the same level as the men, given that they are the first team, just like the men are a first team, they want access to the first team field. They want access to the changing rooms. They want the, the, the game, the better game balls. They want to be paid for expenses and travel, etc. cetera. It, it's totally reasonable. And... I would almost say imperative for the club to come to the party, which they have. So good on Western Springs as well uh, for coming to the table and getting the issue sorted out. We're going to take a short break, uh, 14 minutes past two. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit of US Open um, following Wyndham Clark's win yesterday. Got some awesome audio that I want to play out and a little deep dive into Rory McIlroy as well. We'd love to get your thoughts on it. I know we've got some massive golf fans out there, so you can text her on double eight double three or uh, jump on the phone. Let's have a conversation, 0800 150 811. We will talk a little bit of US golf after this.
20 minutes past two here on SNZ uh, Afternoons with Staffy Sammy sitting in until three today and tomorrow. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the US Open. I was uh, pretty glued to this over the weekend and yesterday, uh, obviously watching it live on the show as uh, Rory and Wyndham Clark battled it out. Um, Ricky Fowler was in the mix, um, but he shot a five over yesterday and finished five under, which is interesting because had he just been able to hold par, he would have finished at 10 under along with Wyndon Clark. And now Wyndon Clark and Roy McIlroy and Scotty Scheffler all shot even pars yesterday. So a very tough final round. The only person who really shone uh, in amongst the field was uh, Tommy Fleetwood, who shot a seven under in the final round to take him to five under and a tie for fifth. And John Rahm, who shot a, a five under as well. Uh, Foxy, uh, he didn't have great uh, second and fourth rounds or third and fourth rounds. He finished four over yesterday and that took him to five over for the tournament. So tied 43rd, uh, not his best finish and he'll be a little bit disappointed. I was a little bit bullish on Sahith Fagala. Um, I'm pretty sure... Uh, that club, it might not be his local club, but I know he's played a lot of golf there. He might have won there before as well. He finished one over yesterday uh, for the round, so plus two overall and finished in a tie for 27th. But uh, it's it's all Rory and Wyndham, really. It's all Rory and Wyndham. That's where all the stories were coming from. And uh, you've got to be happy for Wyndham Clark. No one really picked him. I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there who put a lazy 10 bucks on him to win overall. But no one really picked him from the bookies' standpoint. Uh, it was all Rory. It was all Scotty. Some people jumping on Ricky. Um, but no, not many people put money on Wyndham Clark. And the best finish he had had at a major in seven attempts was 75th. And then he jumps up the leaderboard and... Uh, on the final hole, you'll remember yesterday, he needed to make a par or better. Um, he set himself up for the very long birdie putt, and then the uh, that ended about two feet away, which was perfect for him to tap in for par, maybe even a foot away, actually, to tap in for par. Had he bogeyed, they would have gone to a playoff. And the emotion on the man's face when he won, uh, I mean, anyone who wins a major, we know how much it means to them, but this one in particular, if you go and watch the video on, on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, um, just so much emotion from the man. And I think there was a clip of his wife, not sure if the audio was really clear, but his wife, as she walks up to hug him, says something like, that is so much money. That's uh, <laughs> that is what she said, which is true. He won a lot of money. It was a $20 million purse. Um, but there's a clip that I want to play with for you. Uh, Wyndon Clark, who uh, lost his mum to breast cancer and always talked about his mum and how much she meant to him and how much she was with him throughout his golfing career. Um, and... Ricky Fowler went up to him and the first thing he said to him was, you know, your mum would have been proud of you. She would have been watching over you today, which is obviously awesome from Ricky. Uh, but this is a clip that came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, actually, from Wyndon Clark, uh, talking about his mother and how much she means to him and his golf. My mom was the first one to introduce me to golf. My mom started this great tradition of writing me cute little notes in my golf bag, my gym bag. Uh, my backpack and at a young age I was very embarrassed by these notes because I would open them in the middle of class and my friends would see it but nowadays I'd give anything to have those notes in my golf bag. As I continued to get older she started writing me text messages because I'd be out of town playing tournaments. I really miss those text messages. My mom always talked about playing for something bigger than yourself. Her mantra that she wanted me to play big and it's a motivation for me to be a role model, someone that kids can look up to and want to emulate. Playing big is one of the last things my mom said to me, and it's something I hold very dear to my life. It is not just a mantra for me, but more a lifestyle and something that I try to live out every single day of my life. How awesome is that? 
I just thought that was so awesome. And then to see the emotion on his face yesterday, winning and and uh, and paying homage to his mother as well in the post-match uh, press conference, uh, just phenomenal. Uh, and a little bit of a uh, sign, folks, to, uh, you know, don't be embarrassed about your mums and uh, don't forget to appreciate the, the notes and the messages that they send because uh, they do care about us and they do want us to do very, very well. The other story, of course, is Roy McIlroy, who hasn't won a major, a major since 2014. Um, last time he won the US Open, or the time he won the US Open, was in 2011. It was on this day yesterday. It was on the exact same day 12 years prior that he won the US Open. Uh, but he just can't catch a break, Rory, constantly, constantly finding himself in the mix in the final day of a major. And last year it was Cam Smith at the Open who snatched it from him. This year it's Wyndham Clark. I wouldn't say snatched, but he had some work to do and, and wasn't able to deliver. Great off the tee. Um, in fact, I think he had the most greens in regulation of a non-US Open winner ever. Uh, but the putting was terrible. Two putt average on the final round and tied 42nd in putting over the weekend. You'll remember the, the false shot that he had, I think, on the eighth hole where he uh, whiffed on the ball, and that counted as a penalty stroke. There was a bit of contention over the uh, embedded ball on the 16th, I think it was, at the uh, the far side of the bunker. It got embedded in the grass. Some people said it, it was it was a difficult lie, but it was playable. He was saying it was embedded. He took a drop, and he took a very favourable drop sort of over the lip of the bunker towards the edge of the green. Most people saying that it should have been to the side or perhaps at the front side of the green or in the bunker. Um a bit of controversy there, but Rory once again missing out on winning a major, uh, and you can hear how how difficult it is in his voice uh, in his post round press conferences uh, conference. Here's Rory talking about missing out again. Uh, yeah, um, you know, golf course was playing, um, you know, was playing really tricky, and and obviously the you know the scores in the final few groups reflected that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't feel I, you know, there's a couple of things that I probably would have done differently, but, um, you know, all in all, I, I played a solid round of golf. I, um, you know, that one wedge shot on 14, missed birdie putt on eight. Um, really, apart from that, I, I did everything else, the, you know, the way I wanted to. Um, but yeah, fine, fine, fine margins at this, at this level and, and at this tournament especially, and um, but, you know, I, I fought to the very end. I um, obviously never give up and, you know, well, I'm getting closer. Um, you know, I, the, the more I keep putting myself in these positions, sooner or later it's going to happen for me. And um, just got to regroup and, and get focused for Hoylake in a few weeks' time. I do feel sorry for Rory. I don't know if you're a Rory fan or not listening in, but uh, I do feel sorry that he hasn't been able to get over the line. So uh, he's got four, ma- uh, four, four majors. Yeah, run the PGA Championship twice, uh, won the US Open and the uh, Open Championship, but hasn't won since 2014. Came second last year at the Masters, you remember that one, and uh, second at the Open to Cam Smith last year. So last year he missed out on, on two, didn't he? So next up is the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. That is uh, middle of July, July 16 and uh, BP, Brendan Popple, saying that he is joint favourite, which is probably about right, given um, how he's been playing, but can't get over the line. Cam Smith as well, building nicely towards uh, potentially another major, and the Open, which he won last year, 
Um, he ended up uh, in the US Open, he ended up uh, in fourth position. He was three under for the four, final round, six under overall, and uh, just starting to build a little bit nicely after not playing a lot of golf, going to live and not playing a lot of golf. Could Cam Smith be on a bit of a charge as well? Uh, text me in on double eight double three. Um, your thoughts on Rory, whether or not he'll win another major. Does he have it in him? And would you put money on him to win at the Open Championship? Are you a Rory fan as well? Uh, some people aren't, and there's obviously all the stuff around Liv. He was heavily against, and he was almost a, spoke, a spokesperson for the PGA, and for some people that read, rubbed them up the wrong way. Um, but, yeah, would love to know your thoughts on Rory. Coming up to the 2.30 news, between uh, 2.30 and 3 o'clock, he will go back in the day, have a look at some history. I also am on the hunt for the top five sporting droughts of all time. Uh, and think Talking about Rory not winning since 2014 and uh, talking about Alex Twoll, who scored his first try in 116 NRL games. What are some of the biggest sporting droughts in history? It can be teams, um, clubs, championships. It can be players, you know, players that haven't scored tries or got wickets or uh, got 100 or whatever it might be. Uh, give me your sporting droughts on double eight double three. We will run through the top five uh, between two thirty and three. Mark from Palmia said St Kilda winning the AFL their last titles in nineteen sixty six. St Kilda, I thought St Kilda was quite a high up team in the AFL. Have they gone to many grand finals, Mark? Since then, nineteen sixty six. I have to go and uh, have a look at that one. And another text there from our good friend over in Australia. I won't read it out, but unfortunately. Uh, I'm not here on Friday because we've got the game, the Warriors v Dragons live up in Sydney and, and we're going to be on air from 9pm uh, kickoff at 10. So I'm not going to be here on Friday and Thursday it is going to be um, Stephen McIver. Stephen McIver. And also, double eight, double three. who you think is going to win the Ashes tonight because it is well poised for a result, either Australia or England, obviously. I don't think the draw is going to come into it unless there is rain. We can cross our fingers and hope there's going to be no rain. Uh, we'll take a break for new sport and weather. Uh, we'll come back with your text and our top five sporting droughts after that. Oh yeah, you know what time it is Let's go to my top five list Okay, so talking top sporting droughts uh, of all time And plenty have come through on the text machine here Dave says, hey Sammy, Leicester City and Connacht Rugby Both won their comps for the first time in their respective histories Cheers Dave How far back did Connacht uh, go? I mean Leicester City wasn't really in the Premier League for most of its history So you know, I don't know if you call it a drought, but you know, obviously they'd, been, they'd never won it. Uh, but Connacht is probably a little bit different. How long, Dave, did they have to wait? Uh, Zayt says, what about Manchester City's drought of not winning the Champions League until this year? That's a good one, Zayt. Uh, they, did go for a, they did go a long time. And I would argue with them as well, they weren't really a powerhouse club until they got all the money, which was, what, 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago? So, but that is still a decent amount of time to wait. Um, Alex Rufus, someone said, yeah, didn't he? He took ages to score his first A-League goal. It was, I think it was over 100 games. So Alex Roof is a good one. Um, Nick P's just quickly texting here. The Miss Birdie putt on eight was the one for Rory. Did you see how many millimetre birdie putts misses from Sheffler and DJ? Those greens were crazy as I've ever seen. Yeah, Nick, so many uh, times it looked like the putt was, or the ball was going to sort of roll in and it just kept going past the hole. It was almost like those cups didn't have any lips, but um, yeah, poor old Rory. Anyway, my five. Let's get to number five. Oh, we gonna go to number five on the list. Give it to me right here. I've gone for something a little bit interesting here, Robbie. A little bit left field. Okay. Sporting droughts. The Philippines at the Olympics. 20 Summer Olympics, four Winter Olympics, 487 athletes sent to the farthest corners of the world, the farthest corners of the world. All of that, and the Philippines have only won nine medals, uh, nine medals 
The last one came in 1996. So there's an argument that they've had a long drought between medals from 96 to today. However, on top of that, they are the country that holds the record, the dubious record of the most medals without a gold. So they've never won a gold medal. Does that, is a, that, does that fit the bill, do you think? That's th- a pretty decent drought. I think so. It's the record. Well, I guess all of them really are records you don't really want to hold. Interesting, though. Philippines at the Olympics. There's probably a couple of countries out there that have never won a gold medal. But the Philippines, you'd think, given its size, would have won someone along the way, especially when you look at those stats as well. 20 Summer Olympics, 4 Winter Olympics, 487 athletes. Surely one of them could have won a gold medal. Surely one of them. All right, number four. Let's get to number four on the list. Uh... Someone texted this in, and I had it on my list before they had texted in. But I'm going to go Owen Franks. 108 games for the All Blacks, didn't get a try. Now, that wasn't a drought breaker, but that is it is still considered a drought because it never never happened, right? So Owen Franks, 108 games for the All Blacks, no tries. It's quite remarkable. It's a lot of, it's a lot of games, a lot of minutes, Robbie. It is. But not a single try for the big fella. He did play props, so I understand. Not always in and around the try-scoring column, but... You'd think after 108 games, there'd be something in there. And what are the chances it doesn't get broken? How old is it? I'd he? say, well, no, he's not. He's not yeah, he's, no, he's definitely <laughs> not, not coming back. He's not coming back at this at this stage. Although, you know, seeing some of the other players um, making their returns, you know, to various Super Rugby teams, maybe it's on the cards. I don't think that'll be broken either by a, a current AB. Like, I don't think there'll be any ABs that come close to that one. Now, Alex Twoll was the. Um, he didn't hold the record for the most games without a try in the NRL, 116. But he was by far the, the, the you know, sitting up towards the top of the current players. Now I've got to think about who's next in line. And I think it might be Paddy Carrigan. He's played 80-odd games for the Broncos. And this surprises people when I say Paddy Garen. Paddy Carrigan never scored an NRL try. Which is remarkable because he's a second rower. He plays off a great, pa- uh, great pack. And you'd think somewhere along the way he would have scored. Never scored a meat pie. So maybe Paddy Kerrigan's going to be the new Alex Twole. Let's go to number three. Let's go to number three on the list, please. Give it to me. Number three, and this is going to irk a lot of uh, Maple Leafs fans, and I know there's many of them around, including in our office out here at SCNZ. Uh, the Maple Leafs what, last won the Stanley Cup in 90, uh, 1967. So it's been nearly 60 years. Now, why is that significant? The Maple Leafs are an original six NHL team. So the original six teams, Detroit, Boston, New York, Chicago, the Maple Leafs, and why is the sixth one evading me? Um, Canadians. Is it Canadians? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, Yeah, it is the Canadians. I got that right. So... Uh, they're an original six team. Haven't won the Stanley Cup in 60 years. Arguably one of the biggest hockey brands in, in North America um, and probably worldwide. And their roster consistently over the years has been a very, very good roster, but never won the Stanley Cup since 1967. That is a long time. Imagine being the best team. Well, not the best team, but it being a massive team. Like the Blues is probably another good one as well and not winning a title. In fact, I, I, I might squeeze the Blues in as like a 3.1 or a 3.2. In my, uh, in my top five sporting drafts, but the Maple Leafs in 1967. That is number three. Let's go to number two. Let's get to number two on the list. Oh, yeah. Now, the final two, full disclosure, are baseball teams, but these are massive, monumental records. So the first one is the Boston Red Sox, right? The Curse of the Bambino. Uh, 1918 was the last time they won the World Series before they picked it up again in 2004. Once again, massive organization, Massive brand worldwide, not just in America, worldwide in the sport of baseball, the Boston Red Sox. 
and they couldn't get a, a World Series title. In that 2004 season, funnily enough, in the postseason, they were 3-0 down to the Yankees in a seven-game series, came back. I still think they're one of the only teams to ever do that, to come back from 3-0 down and win 4-3, um, and then eventually win the World Series. So uh, imagine being a fan in amongst all of that. Like, say you were born in 1940, and so you were supporting the team from when you were six or seven years old and you had to wait the best part of 60 years before you watch your team win. Please, Warriors, don't do that to me. Please don't do that to me. Okay, let's go to number one. Let's go to number one. Give it to me. Chicago Cubs, 1908. They hadn't won a title until they broke the bat in 2016. That is 108 years since they last won the World Series. And what I just talked about with, you know, big clubs and rabid fans and having to wait for ages. And you'll remember the Steve Bartman incident as well. That was the Chicago Cubs. They won in 2016. The curse of the billy goat. And the story there was about someone who bought a billy goat into the stadium at some stage or it used to feed someone housed it at the stadium. I can't remember the full story. And they argued that they'd never won since that billy goat got bought in, something like that. So that was the curse of the billy goat, I think. Uh, but that is, I think, no, I think that is the biggest sporting drought in my mind when I think about sporting droughts. But there are, there are some that have come through on double eight, double three. Lots of people have said um, the Warriors in the NRL. So 1995, it's been 28 years. Um, it's like the Owen Franks thing. It's, it's different, I think, if they've never won it before. Because you're just waiting for that first one. It, it, when you look at someone like Rory, he had won a couple or a bunch and then has this long stretch where he doesn't win anything. Um, but yeah, I, I would put the Waz um, drought probably in the top 10. It's more of a personal thing for me as opposed to a an objective top 10 of sporting droughts. But um, for the three or four people that did text that in, I can see your point. Dave says the Connect Rugby one was 138 years 138 years for Connect Rugby. That is a hell of a long time. And Michael Turbos haven't won an NPC game since 2021. That's that is um, surprising to me. Have they not won a single game since 2021? Don't tell Steph. Oh, I was going to say Steph. I hope you're not listening. If you are, uh, take another couple of days off. Um, remarkable. Well, there is some club rugby teams out there as well. I've been reading stories recently of club rugby teams. There was one on the weekend, I think, which broke a 1400 day win win drought, which is. What's that? Three, six, nine, four. It's it's over four years without a single win. Over four seasons without a single win. Remarkable. There you go. Those are my sporting droughts. Those are my five big sporting droughts. Text her on double uh, double eight double three. If you've got any more, we can add to the list. Uh, and just a text quickly in here from Jared says, "Hey Sam, big fan of Rory. Was kicking myself. I didn't put money on him to win as I usually do. But another close finish. I think he will get another major, no doubt. He's a class act. Perhaps he needs to concentrate on the course rather than off it with all the drama of live on his shoulders. That is from Jared. And you actually do have to applaud him, Jared, for how well he has performed in 2023, given everything else that he's dealing with off the uh, off the course. It has been." quite remarkable but I don't know I don't know if Rory will, will win another one I think these windows are getting he says the the windows you know opening up I feel like it's getting smaller I think he's got a he can't keep finishing in second um and the putting is a big issue for him so I'm not totally convinced that Rory's going to win another major but he's got another chance in under a month's time at the British Open uh, we will take a short break when we come back we'll go through more of your text 40 minutes away from three here on SCNZ. Preston North End. This is a text on 8883. Preston North End won the last, uh, first two first divisions in 89 and 90. This is 1889 and 1890. Haven't been in the first division since 1959. 
well, that is insane. What's that, 64 years? 64 years without being in the first division. That is incredible. Um, Robbie, you've gone out and dug some um, some interesting information around cities that haven't won some championships. I have, yeah. I've got, um, I've got Buffalo, which is, uh, again, down the line of the, you're just waiting for that first one to happen. There have been no championships. Really? None um, at all? I guess so, yeah. Well, they got Sabres. Team built. Bills and Sabres. Bills and Sabres. Sabres in the NHL. 117 Bills. seasons, 57 years, never won a title. Wow. Is that between them or are they... Uh, yeah, I think... Well, yeah, I think it's between 50, them. Yeah, probably. Wow, that's... Um, I didn't know they'd never won one. Yeah, we've we've got Minneapolis as well. Um, yeah, most plus. recent championship for isn't them... That in, is that in Wisconsin? No, it's in Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota. Close. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they've got the Twins, MLB, the um, Timberwolves, NBA, Vikings... NFL and the Minnesota Wild. Is that ice, ice hockey? Yeah, it is ice hockey. Okay. Yeah. Terrible um, name for an ice hockey team, by the way. Yeah. The Wild. Yeah, yeah. And that's the uh, same amount of seasons. So, um, And 31 years. The Twins won the World Series in 91. So it's been 30 since they won it. Yeah. Remarkable way that a, that a city that has four teams and none of them can win their respective championship. Right. And one, one that really surprises me, actually, is... Just um, quickly before you get there, yeah. though... Um, the Vikings came close, didn't they? Were they in a Super Bowl a couple of a couple of seasons ago? I could be wrong there, but I felt like they might have been in a Super Bowl. Um, what was the other one? Um, my other one that surprised me is um, New York. New York, um, which is, isn't as long as a drought, but obviously you've got the um, the Giants, the Islanders, Jets, Knicks, Mets, Nets, yeah, got a lot of teams. Rangers, Yankees, yeah, uh, and the Giants winning the Super Bowl in 2011 was their last title in 12 know, years. Yeah, do you know who they beat in that final as well? 2011, 2012. Nope, my New England Patriots, Tom Brady. Right. Don't want to talk about it. Um, the Yankees as well would be a big one, just given their stature in the sport of MLB. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That, that's why it kind of surprised me because yeah. a, lot, a lot of those teams are... The best. Know, yeah, they are. They are. Very, yeah. they are arguably some of the best teams in the competitions. And, I mean, the fact that like the Nets and the Knicks with all the draft picks that they've had and the moves that they've made, the teams they've put together haven't been able to win an NBA championship. And then, like you said, the Yankees and the New York Rangers, um, the Islanders, it's, yeah, put them in the, put them in the boat as well. Uh, Aaron just says, what about Cronulla? Wasn't 2016 their only premiership? It was... Aaron, their only premiership, and they had been waiting quite a long time as well, Cronulla, and they haven't sort of looked. Oh, actually, I was going to say they haven't looked close since. At the moment, you know, they're, they're building. Um, they're sort of one of those teams that just sit outside of the top four. Can they make the top four if they start beating teams above them? That's just the thing that they can't do at the moment. Um, then maybe they are a premiership contender in uh, a few years to come. But yeah, 2016 was a little bit of a outlier as well because they didn't have an amazing team. It was James Maloney was playing for them, wasn't he? Uh, obviously Paul Gallen. And they played the Storm in the final from memory and it was a real grinding final. It was only you know, 14-12 or 16-12 or something like that. And it was a real graft. There was just a lot of tackles and kicking and not a lot of attack from memory. Um, but big credit to the Sharkies. In fact, that year, 2016, I remember, 2016 might have been the year of the drought breakers. So you had the Sharkies winning the NRL. That's the year the Chicago Cubs won uh, the ML, the Major League Baseball, the World Series. I think that was the year Leicester City won the Premier League, 15-16, or was it 14-15? Pretty sure it was 15-16. It was a year one of the AFL clubs won their first um, title or or, um, or broke a drought. Was it the year the Hurricanes won Super Rugby, 2016? Was that 2015? Or and It was either Hurricanes or the Highlanders, I think. like It was a year where a lot of teams broke their droughts. You're going you're gonna to tell me? 
I've got I've got fifteen sixteen for Leicester. Fifteen um, sixteen, yeah. yeah so they yeah. won. It, so in sixteen, they won it. Yep. Uh, and then I've also got uh, the last time the Vikings won a Super Bowl, nineteen seventy seven. I mean, made a Super Bowl. Okay, sure. So yeah, so. I got that one wrong. All right. Um, can you try find out the other teams from twenty sixteen? Oh, Ireland beat the All Blacks in twenty sixteen. I think for the first time, that was the one in Chicago that Ireland beat us in twenty sixteen. A lot happened in twenty sixteen. It was just the year of the drought breakers. Um, someone just says, uh, Steve says, how can you feel sorry for Rory? He's a multimillionaire. He should feel sorry for all of us from Steve. That's probably true, Steve. I'm just talking from purely from a you know a professional athlete or, or a performance point of view. But yeah, I get, I take your point. Hurricanes 2016. Yeah. So yeah, I'm telling you, it, it, was a, it was a big year. NRL, Super Rugby. Who was the NFL champion in, in 2016? I've got to look that one up. And the NBA champion. That might have played into something as well. Anyway, we'll take a break. Uh, we've got one more uh, segment before we go up to 3 o'clock and hand over to the run home. So we will take a break, find out what happened back in the day after this. Here's what happened back in the day. Just before we go back in the day, Henry says uh, Cleveland beat Golden State in 2016 for their only NBA championship. 2016, that has got to be the most remarkable sporting year when you put all those things that I just talked about before together. Remarkable. I'm trying to think of the list again. I'm going to miss them. But Sharks winning the NRL, Hurricanes winning the Super Rugby, Ireland beating the All Blacks, uh, Cleveland beating Golden State for their first championship, Chicago Cubs. What was the other one I mentioned? Nah, nah, that was in 2015. 2016 was Pats, Atlanta, the comeback. Um, I think the AFL, there was an AFL one in there as well. Anyway. What happened back in the day? On this day, June 20. Back in 1980, uh, Panama's Roberto Duran took the WBC welterweight title from Sugar Ray Leonard in Montreal in a famous unanimous points decision after a torrid struggle. Two judges had Duran winning by just one point, the other by two. It was the first bout in a famous trilogy with Leonard regaining the title five months later with an eight-round TKO in New Orleans and winning the WC Super Middleweight crown nine years later in a unanimous points decision in Vegas. On this day, June 20. Back in 1987. Yep, on this day, 1987, the All Blacks beat France 29 points to 9 in front of 48,500 fans in Auckland to win rugby unions in Orgrill. Rugby World Cup, David Kirk captain the All Blacks scored three tries to one in super boot fly half. Grant Fox kicked four penalties, a conversion and a field goal. Birthdays today. Susie Cato, New Zealand icon. She's celebrating a birthday today, as is Maya Lewis, the former New Zealand cricketer. Josh Cronfeld, he's 52 today, the former All Blacks flanker. And Cameron Brown, the uh, Kiwi multi-sport athlete, is turning 51 today. On this day in 1978, the number one movie was Grease. And the number one song from Andy Gibb... Yeah, Shadow Dancing by uh, Andy Gibb. That is us for a Tuesday. We will be back tomorrow between 12 and 2 before running it straight. Myself and Kempi, 2 and 3. We will preview Origin as well as the Warriors game against the Dragons. The run home coming up next. If you missed anything today, our interviews with Andrew Dewhurst, uh, Chris Milicic, Jeremy Coney, 
or Maya Jackman. Go and check those out on the SCNZ Afternoons with Staffy podcast channel. But uh, big shout out to Robbie in the booth. Great work out there, fella. Uh, we will see you tomorrow. The run home coming up next.